Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com, helping you filter through the noise. Real talk, black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit WorldAfropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. WorldAfropedia.com. Yeah, and it um, looks like a check, piece of paper of some sort, receipt. I don't Jan, know. this is Angela Martin from Accounting. Mm-hmm. Look, we have a rebate from the Federal Work Opportunity Program, and no one knows what that means. And we get that money for hiring an ex-convict. I didn't hire an ex-convict. Unless they mean Toby, convicted rapist. <sighs> I'm just kidding. When did the check come? Last week. Okay, that's when the branches merged, so Josh must have been taking advantage of this program. Smart move. One of the Stanford people is a criminal? Hey, Jan, speaking of Stanford, Hannah brought in her baby. Jan, which one of the new employees is a criminal? A reformed convict, and uh, I'm not sure. So hang on, let me email our HR. Stay on the line. Who is it? Hannah? Hmm. Hmm. Andy? Martin? You're such a racist. Wait, why am I a racist? Because you think he's black. He is black, right? And stop it, stop he it. He was the right one. Stop, stop it right now. Yeah, okay, it's someone named Martin Nash. Yeah. Michael? Why did the convict have to be a black guy? It is such a stereotype. I just wish that Josh had made a more progressive choice, like a white guy who went to prison for polluting a black guy's lake. I wonder what he did. In our society, a black man can be arrested for almost anything. He was probably at a sporting event and saw some people pushing each other, and he intervened. Why would anyone go to jail for that? So... What we need to do is to forget about this whole Martin in prison thing. People will draw unfair conclusions about Martin and or black people. Cool. Okay. Angela? Sure. Let's protect the convicts at the expense of the general feeling of safety in the workplace. As a 90-pound female that sits in an ill-lit, rarely visited corner of the office, Naturally, I agree with that. Good. All right. Just try to be cool. I am cool. Okay. Are you I'm cool? cool. I'm really? Cool. I'm so cool. Tell me what is going on. Um, Martin from Stanford 
was at one time in prison. No. I am greatly concerned about having a convict in the office. And I do not care if that convict is white, black, Asian, German, or some kind of halvesy. I do not like criminals. Hey, Martin. How's it going? Good. Getting settled. You know. Ah, good, good, good. Just a second. Hey, everybody. May I have your attention, please? I realize that a lot of you have already heard that Martin here has had some trouble with the law. But I just want to declare publicly that I trust him completely. And that anybody who doesn't is an ignorant, dumb person. Okay? As a matter of fact, you show me a white man you trust, and I will show you a black man that I trust even more. Pam, tell me a white person you trust. My dad. Danny Glover. Yeah. Jonas Salk. Who? Justin Timberlake. No. Oh, please. Colin Powell. Hey, I got one. Yeah. Jesus. Apollo Creed. Rest in peace, Apollo Creed. Martin went from being a new guy from Stanford to the convict to my friend. Back to a convict. Then to kind of a nuisance, actually. We can be completely honest. And finally to a quitter. And I will not miss him. And that is not because he is black. Knock, knock. <laughs> oh, here she is. <laughs> Gentlemen, I'd like you to meet Dr. Belinda Brown, the new principal at North Jackson. <laughs> I am so sorry that I'm late. There's a car parked in the principal space. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Brown was principal of several very high-achieving schools in Philadelphia. Oh, look at you being so nice. Oh, no. Faculty. Who here thinks that Belinda Brown needs to take her big old butt back to Philadelphia? Whoa, what's the big issue with Dr. Brown? Well, she's got to run this school into the ground. That's the issue. She got her master's from Berkeley. Yeah, I bet she went to Berkeley, and I'm pretty affirmative how she got in. Whoa. Here's what I'm proposing. I'm going to file a formal complaint with the school board. A complaint? What's it going to say? So I'll say they fucked up. They chose the wrong person. Maybe they need to reconsider things. Maybe make me principal. But what I'm going to need for this to work is all of you guys to sign this complaint with me. So they know we mean business. No, I'm not putting my name on that. Not a chance. Not a chance. Not a chance. Not a chance. Y'all never backed me up before. I don't know why I thought this time would be any different. <sighs> Mr. Gandy, it appears that someone has filed a complaint against me with the school board. Mm, that's interesting. Is there anything you'd like to get off your chest, Mr. Gandy? I mean, nothing really comes to mind. Well, this complaint says, and I quote, she's not very smart. And if she's in charge, this school will suffer in a horrible way. Dr. Brown only cares about herself. She really thinks she's something. Now, who would write such a thing? I don't know. I'm not sure. Does it say who wrote it? Why, yes, it does. Okay, fine. I'll admit it. I wrote the complaint against you. 
Mr. Gamby, I've been doing this for some time now. Whenever a new principal shows up at a school, you can guarantee that people feel like they've been passed over. And oftentimes, they resent the new principal. I can live with people resenting me, that's fine. But from now on, you're going to be very cooperative and very pleasant when dealing with me. Because if you're not cooperative, Mr. Gamby, and if you're not pleasant, I will drag your face all up and down the parking lot of this motherfucker. Now, do we understand each other, Mr. Gamby? Yes, Dr. Brown. Wonderful. Now, I would like for you to come in two hours earlier every morning. I want you to jump in on the morning driver's aid program. That means I got to be here at 5, 10 a.m. Is that a problem, Mr. Gamby? No, it's not a problem. Well, if that's all, you're dismissed. Have a blessed day. You have a blessed day, too. Oh. Thank you. Leave it open. Say who? Open. The door? Leave it. Thank you. Got you by the balls. Driver's in, tough break. Yeah, well, at least I'm not bending over and taking it up the ass with a smile like you are. Over. You have no fucking clue why you've been throwing your little tantrums, filing your complaints. I've been learning her weaknesses. And when the time's right, I'm gonna stab that bitch in her big fat back. I thought you loved Dr. Brown. Please. She doesn't deserve to sit behind that desk. That should have been me. And if not me, then maybe you. You need to flip your shit around. Me, then you. Whatever, Gamby. Just not her. Fuck her. Fuck her. She's my enemy. And she's your enemy. And my enemy's enemy is my friend. Shall we align, friend? Take that bitch down. Context of white supremacy. Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Thursday, December 15th, 2016. So I have been told uh, this is our weekly forum on workplace racism <clears throat> program is designed specifically for non-white people, black people who are having problems uh, on the job. Uh, if you're having issues with other white coworkers, issues with other non-white coworkers, uh, supervisors, whatever the case may be. Uh, if you have figured out some things uh, that are successful in terms of things you can do on the job to help you, uh, minimize problems, uh, avoid conflict with other coworkers so that you just get all of your raises, all of your promotions right on schedule, move right through your career, stay there as long as you want, <laughs> handle your duties and have no problems. We need to hear that pronto. So if you figured out some things, if you figured out the best way to keep from having any sort of sexual harassment issues, I know we've talked about that uh, a lot uh, over workplace racism, unwanted touching. If you figured out some things for the holidays, I know we've had quite a few listeners who have wrote in and or talked about uh, either being required 
to participate in some sort of holiday gathering uh, or strongly encouraged, or even if it's voluntary, whites end up getting angry about it. So if you have figured out some things to minimize some of these problems, uh, correct thing to say, the correct thing to do uh, that will make these issues vanish. We need to hear from you like immediately. You should be one of the first people uh, to dial in. The number is 641-715-3640. The code is 564-943-POUND. Press star 6 if you would like to participate. That number again, 641-715-3640. The code is 564-943-POUND. Press star 6 if you would like to participate and certainly always for the workplace racism uh, broadcast. If you have, uh, if you're not able to participate live, you can drop me an email and I will read your commentary on the air. Uh, we can keep it anonymous. I know some people have uh, a concern about that. So uh, if that is your preference until justice at gmail.com and I will share your commentary on the broadcast, if it's uh, an observation or if you want to get feedback uh, from some of the listeners and what have you. Uh, we can do all that. Just drop your email and I will share it with the rest of the folks listening. Uh, a couple of folks already shared, but before I get to that, I just wanted to uh, explain uh, the opening segments. Uh, those were from two separate television shows. Uh, the first segment was from The Office, where they were talking about the black worker uh, who was a former convict and their response to finding out this uh, information, that was the office. And then the second clip was from uh, Vice Principals, uh, the office that was on the air for almost a decade. I think they did nine seasons uh, from the early 2000s all the way. I think it went off the air in 2013. Uh, I think they did approximately 200 uh, episodes. So I think by most metrics, a successful television program. The second clip, Vice Principals, that is a new television show. Uh, just started on HBO uh, this past summer, a few months back. Um, it is about two white, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, it's about two white males. They're upset. As you heard in the clip, they're upset that a black female has been uh, promoted to principal. They wanted the job and uh, they proceed to sabotage and terrorize her so that they can either get her fired or make her quit so that they can get her job. And I played with those. Number one, it seemed like a lot of victims of racism. Some of our listeners were uh, a little down, a little discouraged this week. I know the holidays can be really chaotic and unpleasant for a lot of people. Uh, it's just been a lot of uh, flagrant racism, the election, just the variety of things that are going on. Uh, it's cold. I certainly am no fan of that. Uh, so I wanted it to be a little bit lighter, even though I know uh, when I say lighter uh, in terms of just for folks uh, to take a moment catch their breath, uh, just try to replenish. It just seemed like a lot of folks are having uh, some difficulties and just not in the best spirits. Uh, so to just step back, refresh, uh, and try and get ourselves rolling uh, to New Year coming, and racists have no intention of taking any breaks. So uh, just making sure we can recharge and be ready to roll uh, in terms of dealing with counter-racism for the holidays and on into 2017. Uh, just the quick thoughts that I would say about both of those clips. Uh, white people make television programs, comedies no less. 
very successful comedies where they just sit around and ridicule black people, particularly mistreating black people on the job. It's not a surprise. It's not strange to have a TV program, a movie that is enforcing racism and depicting black people poorly or making fun of black people. But these shows specifically are about white people having fun and making jokes about sabotaging black people on the job, making black people lose their jobs, uh, conspiring to make sure that a black person does not get a promotion, or if they do, we can get them fired or we can make them quit. Uh, in fact, vice principals on this day, when Dylan Storm Roof found guilty, all charges, all federal charges, uh, the death penalty, federal death penalty trial down in South Carolina on this day when he is found guilty, that second clip, Vice Principals, that show where the black female, she gets the job as a principal of a South Carolina high school. And these two white male vice principals are so furious about this that they can. And they don't even like each other. These two white guys, they make that clear. That was from the pilot that you heard. They don't even like each other. They get along and start working together exclusively on their dislike of this black female who is named Dr. Brown, no less. Uh, and they proceed in the very next episode after the clip you heard to burn down her house. They spit in her coffee on the job and they ultimately trick her into going out, manipulate her into going out and having drinks after work. They get her drunk and they videotape it on camera to get her to resign. That's the first season conclusion. Uh, they videotape her getting drunk and urinating on a car. And then they show it to her and tell her that they're either going to release it or she's going to quit. And she quits. That's entertainment for whites, and I suspect that they're doing similar types of things on the job to us. They even broke out a spy pen so they could videotape her uh, as she urinated on a car. The first clip, same thing, uh, where they're just making fun. This is just a big joke. Of course, uh, if we hired a former convict, of course it's a nigger. And then they just proceed, everybody, oh, you're a rapist, he's a killer. He was doing uh, he was doing white people crimes. I think he did some insider trading uh, or whatever. But ah, we don't care. He's Willie Horton and he's O.J. Simpson. Ah, and they just take the whole episode ridiculing him and he ends up quitting at the end. But this is ha ha funny. Same thing with vice principals. Ha ha funny. We burned down this black female's house in South Carolina. Ha ha ha. We went to a slave plantation. Ha ha ha. Just playing that in the context of workplace racism, this is what we should be thinking about. After a whole day of terrorizing us on the job, white people go home and watch this sort of content where they can further get notes about things that they can do to terrorize and abuse us on the job. Moving forward, as I said, we had a couple people, uh, several people actually, that wrote in commentary for workplace racism. Uh, going right down the line. First one, Uh, I'm writing to share my experience with workplace racism and hopefully in particular new grads that are black that are heading into the workforce to hear this. About a year ago, I got my first full time corporate job for a bank. The only way to get a job there was to go through a temp agency. There are three floors. The top floor is where the president and execs are whom are all white. There are no colored folk there. The bottom floor is essentially the same. There are a few quote unquote Hispanics in that area, but they are passable. I don't know if that means that they are able to be accepted as white or not. Uh, the second floor where I worked, which was split into different divisions, you had your collections area, e-commerce area, account area, customer service, merchant area, and fraud area. The highest paying 
group was the fraud group, then collections. The people who work in the fraud and collections are all white and they did not have to go through the temp agency to get the job. I hope you are able to see where I'm going with this. For the rest of the departments, it was filled with mostly blacks and Hispanics. The management was all non-black, non-white people. This place literally looks like a slave plantation. Anyway, as I stated earlier, everyone but white people have to come through a temp agency to work here. Well, the Hispanics who came here after black people got a chance to get a permanent position after two months, while all the black employees were still temps for over a year. Not only that, uh, but all the black employees had to stay in either account setup or customer service while the Hispanic employees either got a chance to move up or move to a higher paying department. I will uh, make the distinction that all but three black temps were not American born. Subsequently, we were the only three blacks who could see the blatant racism going on. One of us quit. The other is still there working as a temp going on her second year. And I got fired. I got fired because I was set up and the Hispanic manager did not like and was simply looking for a way to get rid of me. Pretty much. I received a call which should have never come through my department because we don't handle e-commerce calls. Anyway, I transferred the call like you're supposed to do. And that was that. The next day, I got a call from the temp agency stating the bank is letting me go for not getting anything on the job after a year. Mind you, on my evaluation, I got all high marks. The temp agency even called me a week prior to let me know that the bank feels I'm doing well and to keep up the good work. Why do I believe I was set up? I was trying to move to a different department so I wouldn't have to deal with the racism in mine. A few Hispanic employees, which were only two out of 40 of them who weren't racist were helping me and training me to get another department because they had openings. I sent an email to my team lead who was black, by the way. He's not a manager, but a lead letting him know I was going to sit with the other Hispanic employee so he could train me in the department. I returned to my desk and two hours later, I get the e-commerce call, which I have never, ever gotten or excuse me since i have never gotten ever since i've been working there i wanted to go to the eeoc but i was an employee of the temp agency and not the bank and i guess if i did they would be able to use the she didn't know anything line against me with proof from the call i wanted to share this story because on one of your podcasts you discussed racism uh, black temps faced in favor of hispanics that is almost what Happened here, except black people got a chance to work, but never got hired permanently. I also made the distinction between the American blacks and non-American blacks, because what I experienced was that non-American blacks working there aren't aware of racism. Every time we would bring up that this place was racist, they would brush it off because the Hispanics there bring up that this place, excuse me, uh, every time we would bring up that this place was racist, they would brush it off because the Hispanics there were nice to them and made jokes with them, although they have been there for over a year and never got hired permanently like the Hispanics did after two months. There was this lady from the Ivory Coast there who wanted a permanent position really bad and what she would say to me was really heartbreaking. Every time she would apply or inquire about an open permanent position, she would get rejected. She got rejected so many times that she eventually started blaming herself. That is standard operating procedure. She got, uh, she told me he believed the only reason why she keeps getting rejected was because she didn't smile 
and say hi enough to the manager and that she doesn't pick up much of other people's work to prove to them that she is hardworking. I advised her that wasn't the reason, but she too brushed off my racism explanation. Commentary number one. I think that was uh, last week. I know reveal. Uh, the podcast revealed they had, uh, like everybody else in the universe, they had Richard Spencer with the white supremacist organization on their program. They also, uh, on the reveal segment, they had, uh, I think like an hour broadcast on the racism in the temp agency and how black people were being denied. I played uh, a little bit talking about that last week. Uh, that was separate, but it was the same thing. Black temp workers being mistreated. I think Thomas and some other people have talked about that. They love to manipulate and keep black people in those sort of positions where they can work you as hard as they possibly can use you to death, pay you as little as possible and then hang that little, Oh, maybe we might, we might have a spot for a hardworking permanent little nigger like you. Oh, nope, nope. Matter of fact, and don't even come back tomorrow. You're fine. They love doing that sort of thing uh, to black people worldwide, standard operating procedure. And then as was stated in the mail, things go poorly. We blame ourselves, not racist man, racist woman, racist child, standard operating procedure. Next less uh, message. Uh, Okay. Let's see. So this person is responding. This is uh, a follow-up. We had the person who wrote in last week. Uh, she works, uh, the non-white person works in, I think, yeah, non-white female. She works in a, um, insurance, uh, company. And it, so it was the white person who was lazy, this race soldier, he wasn't doing his job. And apparently this person had the job that was like the critical position where they have to fill out paperwork or do whatever they do, uh, in order for people to get their, uh, insurance claims. Uh, and if so, if he doesn't do his job, then no checks are written. And so people are calling in, where's my check? Where's my check? Where's my check? Uh, and then when upper management whites started coming in to see, well, what is the problem? Why are things not happening? Uh, this lazy racist white guy did the standard thing and just started blaming other black people. Uh, and our black female who's writing in, giving the update, uh, they were saying they were trying to blame some of this on her. And so she was asking for suggestions on what to deal with this sort of thing. I think we were saying documentation, uh, asking for an investigation to see what's going to happen, pointing out that white people would be the ones doing the the investigating and making the decision. She had to deal with that too. So she wrote it. She said, I listened to the call in and heard all the suggestions. I don't know how I will apply any of these suggestions. These were from last week since the manager is white and incompetent as well. Probably racist too. About a day ago, my manager blamed me because a customer sent her a fax directly and she never got to it until a month later. She looked in the file and saw my notes in there providing the fax number to the customer. Well, she blamed me because I didn't tell the customer to address the facts to me so I could personally give it to her, which was her reason as to why she never got to the facts and worked on the customer's file. Coworkers who have been there for years keep telling me to focus on school and make sure I don't stay at this place due to the politics and incompetency. My manager is white. But she got a black husband, ding, ding, and her kids are my age. I think that's the reason why she hires black people in our department, even though since I have been there, three blacks got fired and replaced. It's a revolving door. I can't move to a different department since there are whole families working there. Literally wives, husbands, and kids. Uh, Thanks for the suggestions. I will note everything going on so I can hopefully take it to our corporate office before I resign. Um, I guess my question would be why even, 
what what do you hope to accomplish? This is for uh, the caller who wrote this in. Uh, what do you hope to accomplish if you take all this data and then you just share this with uh, corporate before you exit? I assume these would probably be whites, racists that you'd be sharing this information. So what do you what do you hope to gain uh, from sharing this information before you uh, exit? Uh, that would be my question. Uh, I'll get in one more and then I still have two others to read. I'll get those in before during the course of the program. But this will be the last one before I get to callers. So this is our young scholar uh, in the Bay Area. He's called in numerous times, I think, over the years now, uh, he and his mother. So he wrote in uh, every day. I start to realize more and more what type of world I am a resident of and how destructive the world is, especially in the United States. In one of the programs that I go to, we were talking about the movie Goodbye, Uncle Tom. I saw that when the director of the program asked if any of us heard of the movie and or watched it, I was the only one. That raised a hand. Bravo. We talked about how Roots was just a sugar coated version of this movie. I wonder if they meant the new Roots or the old one. Continuing. I also learned that this movie was produced by Italians in Brazil because Americans would never produce a movie like that. That is all I wanted to share. Fascinating. I am stunned. This uh, young black scholar in the Bay Area. I believe he's like 15, 16 years old, unless, you know, my numbers are off. I don't recall that film being brought up in high schools, typically. Like, I heard about it uh, in college. I've heard about it subsequently since. I think people were mentioning it when Django came out, came out a few years back, but I didn't hear about that film uh, nowhere near close to when I was uh, this young scholar's age, uh, when I was 10, 15, something like that. I hadn't heard, I had no idea that they had a film like that. If anybody hasn't seen it, <clears throat> Goodbye, Uncle Tom. It's an older film, but it's about uh, the enslavement of black people. It's very, very graphic. <clears throat> One of the... <clears throat> more graphic depictions that you'll see. It's, it's as was stated in the email, much more graphic. I think they're trying to, to give a much more authentic uh, depiction of the white brutality and savageness that was inflicted upon black people. Uh, I'll stop there. I have two others to share. Uh, folks have commentary. They would like to share. If you have your own situations or if you want to comment on anything that you heard from folks who wrote in the number again is six, four, one, seven, one, five, three, six, Four zero, and the code is five six four nine four three pound. Press star six if you would like to participate. Uh, the folks who dialed in who have a hand up, uh, line should be open. Uh, feel free if you have commentary you would like to share. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, good evening. Um, 2812 from Virginia. Um, hope everything is going well. I have a couple of um, interesting situations that I'll share. I'll start with today. Um, I'm in the mortgage business. Today I had to teach a class on credit repair. Um, the, I love teaching classes on credit repair because, especially if there's non-white people in the room, I can always get them tips and give them assistance on, you know, sharing ideas and things of that nature. Um, even if there are there are a lot of people, uh, actually not that many people classified as white in the room today. Actually, you know what? There weren't any white people in the room. So it was all, all not an actually one white female. So one white female. Um, after the class, um, the real estate office that I work in, we had a holiday party. And so we're sitting down and we're eating. 
and um, it seemed like there was an automatic segregation. Uh, the black people went to sit in one room, the majority of them. Then there was a couple of stragglers, and I just sat down wherever I could. And so some lady that I worked with, that's another loan officer, brought up the topic of, I don't even know how she got to this, but somebody started talking about, uh, oh, there's a woman that lives in Mexico. She's from Mexico. And she says she doesn't take her kids to Mexico um, because they look white. And I looked at her and I was like, what, what does that mean? And she said, well, the Mexican drug cartels there, you know, if they see people that have the assumption that they look white, they're, they're kidnapping them and chopping their heads off. And I just said, huh, <laughs> that's interesting. So do Mexican the Mexican drug cartels equate Americans with white? She said, yeah. And I said, oh, interesting. So then this other lady, suspected racist in the back, says, well, we don't have to worry about that anymore because Trump is going to build that wall. And I sat there, and the Mexican, the woman who classified herself as Mexican, because that's the thing in Mexican, but she said, well, ma'am, I don't think if Trump building a wall is going to stop drug cartels from, you know, kidnapping people. Like, that doesn't even make logical sense. Like, that's what that woman said. And I said, that was a pretty good response. And then the white lady was like, yeah, but it'll help some different things. So, you know, fast forward, that was tacky. Then I'm sitting in my office. Uh, I have a white manager, and the other woman that made that same comment about uh, the wall was sitting, I'm sitting in the office, and the white manager's trying to go over some different programs and stuff, and I'm kind of half listening. I'm on my phone. And um, uh, I'm going away next week. And I, my manager asked me, where are you going? And I said, I'm traveling to a Caribbean country. I said, I'll be there for a couple of days. I said, you know, I love being out there. I love the food and the culture and whatever. I said, man, I just want to get the heck out of here. I said, um, I, if I could be there every day, I could. Um, so the white woman says, is that because of Trump? And literally, my manager, the, the manager, even this white male, suspected racist, looked at her and said, why did you equate him wanting to leave the country based upon Donald Trump being the president? And I kind of looked at her and said, yeah, would you mind explaining that? And she said, oh, well, you know, everybody says that. I said, they do? I said, I've been trying to leave the United States of America for the last 16 years since I got out of college. I would love to live in, like... Trinidad or Dominican or somewhere else. I said, it has nothing to do with who the president is. I said, that's a very interesting comment that you made. And so I got out of there. It was really tacky. Um, but then the main incident I want to bring up, then I'll shut up, was that earlier in this week, I was talking to a client. Um, black male uh, has a white female significant other, cowbell. Um, so they call me asking a couple of questions about uh, getting a loan and things of that nature. And, you know, uh, he's a black male and, you know, he was struggling to get his questions out. And I heard the girl in the background and they're young, they're probably 28, 29. And I heard him yelling, heard her yelling at him like, no, that's not what you're supposed to be saying. You got it all wrong. Damn it. Listen to me. I told you to say it like this. And he's like, baby, baby, I got it, I got it. And I was just like, huh, you know, I didn't, I blew it off. So then 
Um, a couple of days later, I'm talking to their realtor um, who's representing them, and I'm helping me with the deal. She is a non-white female. And I just asked her, I said, can I ask you a question? And I said, yeah. I said, I'm looking at this young lady's credit report, the white female, and I said, um, she's receiving child support income. And I said, I've seen their younger child. I know she has a baby by this other gentleman she's with now. I said, but she also has a younger child. I said, can I ask you a question? She said, what? I said, is, is the other father of the child another non-white male? And she said, uh, yeah, why did you ask that? And I said, well, just the way that she was talking to him, it kind of seems like, unfortunately, he's going to be in the same situation as somebody else. And, I, and now the only reason I can communicate with her is because her and I are really, really good friends. And she's a little bit less confused uh, about racism. And I just said, I don't see them having a long-term relationship. I see this guy being on child support again as this other uh, non-white male is. And she's just going to continue to abuse black males. And, um, that's all I have to share, and I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Mm. Wow, that is uh, a lot. Wow, um, I don't even know where to, to pick up that. There's such uh, different different vignettes. Let's see. Uh, wow, let me let me let me leave that last one alone because I don't. I feel like we could end up getting sucked into area eight as opposed to workplace racism. So I'll I'll leave that. I had to think about that for a little while. Uh, although it was fascinating, is great observation. I'm glad you asked uh, asked more questions. Uh, the one the the situation I guess where whoever this race soldier white woman is who when you were saying, you know, yeah, I'd like to be someplace in the Caribbean or, you know, whatever the case is. And she says, Oh, uh, is that because of Trump? I thought that was great, uh, codification, uh, in terms of just no, the other person asks, why would you equate that with whatever, whatever? And then you, yes, I, I would also like to hear the answer to, uh, to that question. I thought that was uh, great. Cause that's one of those where I think, uh, it could be an opportunity for you to get upset it, it just in any way, shape, form, whether you get upset and what the hell are you talking about? And or anything. That's one of those where I'm real, real low. This is not going to be an opportunity for an argument. Uh, and even, you know, I'm not going to talk about politics if you want to steal uh, 1842, uh, her comment. But I think that was great uh, the way that you dealt with that situation. Also thought it was great black self-respect. Just looking, trying to help the, the people. I think you said it was one white person present, uh, but trying to help people repair their credit and giving them, uh, that information. I, I thought that was, uh, awesome as well. And hope folks, uh, take advantage of that. I still have to pause, uh, on the, uh, on the last situation. Did other folks that are listening in, did you have, uh, any questions, uh, for the scenario that we just heard any different scenarios, uh, that we just heard? Uh, I think I would tend to agree with your assessment on that last one, that, that serial, uh, I'm going to say she is a serial rapist white woman who is just going out here and exploiting all of these black males. Uh, I suspect that you're probably correct. She's going to be doing the same thing and he'll be doing some might be another. I don't even want to say the name Walter Scott already talked about South Carolina today. Uh, did folks have any questions? Appreciate it. Caller. Did folks have any questions on what they heard uh, from our first caller or anything else that we've discussed so far? Or if you had your own situation you want to touch on, feel free. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. 
Uh, greetings to you, Gus. Uh, thanks again um, for a great show um, so far, and I'm sure it's going to get better as it goes on as far as the information. Um, for the previous caller, um, like you said, great vignettes. Your assessment, I think, is spot on. In regards to the very last vignette he spoke about, to me it's just uh, is a great example of how uh, tragic arrangements infantilizes black people, especially black males. I've seen that happen before, even in the industry that I work, where you'll have the white person literally telling their so-called black counterpart what to say or just chastising them in the background. Like, you know, and sometimes I even heard them call, call them idiots, like, oh, you're an idiot, give me the phone. So, I mean, like, you're absolutely right with that. Um, just just uh, incredible example of... Um, why uh, those tragic arrangements are completely incorrect. Um, I had a couple of, uh, also, also a couple of uh, workplace observations myself. Um, also, a couple of uh, 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 travel observations going to and from work. Um, at the job, um, when I go to work, I usually put together, uh, excuse me, I put together a bunch of different uh, natural herbs that I take regularly just to maintain my health. And I put them in a little uh, screw on top plastic container and usually I'll leave it on my desk in front of me when I'm sitting there. So, um, you know, so I can see it. It's not, you know, no one can mess with it. So if I leave my desk, I'll put it away. But if I'm at my desk, I'll leave it there so I can, you know, just take them when I need to take them. So, um, I was at my desk, um, doing my work and this is like the middle of the day. This was actually yesterday. And the department manager, this uh, white terrorist, um, that actually she's a deviant too. She likes to terrorize black females and just disrespect them about all kinds of things. So um, she's not my favorite at all. And she's uh, just not the most intelligent white female, even though she tries to act like she is. So anyway, I'm sitting at my desk doing my job and um, she's having a conversation with my immediate supervisor who sits directly in front of me, across from me. Um, and as she's talking, she comes and she picks up the container. She looks at it and then she puts it down and she goes back to talking to my supervisor. So then as the day progresses, maybe about within about 20, 15 to 20 minutes after she left the area, somebody mentioned that she was sick. And I didn't know because I didn't see her the whole day and I was actually in the middle of doing work. So it wasn't like I was able to pay her that kind of attention, but I caught her pick up. I caught her picking up the container out of my peripheral vision. So when I found out she was sick, I'm like, this so-and-so had the nerve to take her germ-infested, you know, pale-faced hands and touch my stuff. I didn't even know she was sick, which means that I could have contracted whatever, you know, the base filthy disease she's carrying because she was she, come to find out, come to find out later in the day I saw her coughing and stuff. So I'm like, oh, she's disgusting. So um, I actually took out one of the uh, they have these uh, wipes that they leave around the office. They're Lysol disinfectant wipes. So I disinfected my whole desk and the first thing I did was wipe off the container. Um, and I was just thinking about you know just how sneaky they are. You know, and I'm glad that my code is don't leave things out when I'm not at my desk because had I left it out and I didn't know she touched it and manipulated it, I could have, you know, got sick. <laughs> I don't know what she's carrying, and I don't like to get anything that white people have. So that in and of itself was just proof that they like to tamper with stuff on your desk. Don't trust them. Keep an eye on them. They're just disgusting. They're filthy creatures, and um, it's just, just disgusting. So update on my pay, too. Um, come to find out, so they went back, uh, as the last update, they went back to the original pay, pay uh, situation of the 15th and the 30th or 31st, 
whereas a couple of weeks ago they were planning to transition to an every two-week pay period, and our paychecks were uh, messed up. So today I get a check. It looks, you know, about, let's say roughly about $400 short, and I wasn't the only one. There were a bunch of other people who had their, their paychecks short by similar amounts and in some cases more, depending on what area of the company they worked in. So um, I actually put in for uh, an audit of my entire pay, and I want them to explain every bit of what has transpired because I will not hesitate to sue the living crap out of them for the illegalities of their nonsense. Um, I've talked about this before. One of the owners of the company is a brother-in-law of Donald Trump, so I know he's a financial criminal. Um, there's anybody who, who's up in those uh, ranks as far as their connections, they're criminal, especially when they're white, they're criminal. So I'm putting that audit in. I actually put in the request today and, um, her, the lady in human resources, um, and about the manager that I just talked about, the filthy, disgusting one, and, um, another supervisor is going to basically have a meeting with myself. And there's a, quite a few other people who put in for the same thing once the, uh, the paychecks were given out to not paychecks, but the, um, pay went through today because it's all electronic at my job. So yes, I'll keep you updated on what these psychopathic creatures are doing next. Um, in reference to just traveling on the train, uh, this was Monday, and then I saw it again today. Um, I was on the way home Monday evening, and I had two white people, one sitting directly in front of me on the train, the other one at, in the same spot as the person in front of me, but on the opposite side. And both of them were just feverishly drinking liquor. One pulled out the little glass bottles of, um, of E&J. And he was just tossing them up and then popping mints in his mouth or munch and munching on some crap, I guess, to deal with his filthy alcohol-laced breath. And the one that was sitting directly in front of me was whipping out cans of beer, just having the ball tossing them up on the way home. Then I was on the train today, and one of the same white people I bumped into earlier this week, Monday, drinking the beer, sat in front of me again, cracking beers all the way home. So like I said, when you're traveling on the train, when you find these terrorists, and when you see those video clips of them acting out and mistreating black people publicly, you never know what they're on. So be very careful. They're drug addicts. They're the worst drug addicts. They're the worst alcoholics. So be very, very careful. And then I've noticed something subtle today. Um, this was just, again, traveling home from work. I'm sitting on the train, and I usually put a my backpack in the seat next to me. Um, so that no white people sit there. And usually if there's a non-white person, I'll offer them the seat because I prefer to sit next to them than to have one of those filthy creatures sit next to me. So, But every so often you have a situation where one of the white people come on and they, they want to sit where you're sitting. So I'm sitting there, um, and this white man comes up. He's walking through the aisles, tons of seats everywhere, and he's, he has a cane and he's limping. So I have my um my bag there, and I just give them the look of death. Like I give all of them the look of death if they even think they're going to sit next to me. So usually it's a deterrent. So in this case, it's not. He comes and he wants to sit next to me. So I look at him like just the filthiest piece of trash ever, and I move my bag. And then I just, um my whole aura just spelled of I can't stand you, and I can't wait till you get as far away from me as possible. So he sits next to me, and I, and when I'm, what I, re what I realized, which I realized before, is white people like to take these subtle attempts at harassing you, um, and that's what I thought he was, he was trying to do, um, just in the way that he approached where he sat, because he could have sat anywhere else. There were a ton of white people around with seats open, and he specifically, once he got to my section of the train, chose to sit next to me. So then he gets off, and when he gets off, there's an elderly white woman that gets on the train. And then she comes, and she magically wants to sit next to me. So I look at her. I look at, give her the look at that, too. 
Um, so then as she sits down, she attempts to ask me something. So I have my headphones on, I'm listening to, to music, and I just look at her like she's a piece of crap under my shoe, and I pay her no attention, I give her no answers, I do not help white people. So as I'm sitting there, she, she glances a couple more times like she wants to say something, and I just roll my eyes at her, and then eventually I just put my hood on, and I pull it out over the side of my face on the side she's sitting, so I don't even have to look at her. And at that point, she doesn't say anything else. And as um or attempt to, and as I'm getting off the train, I just said, well, excuse me, I need to get off the train. And then I beeline off the train. So there's just a subtlety. White people are predatory. It reminds me of Jeffrey Dahmer. They will try to pick and choose who they want to harass. And if they can't overtly harass you, I know somewhere in my gut, white people know about epigenetics and that they make us sick. And that's what they take advantage of, I believe, in situations like that. Thank you so much for, um, for taking my call and I'll meet my line. Wow. That's a lot. Uh, that's a lot to pick at as well. I guess uh, one of the more prominent things that came to mind just because I briefly looked at my some of my social media timelines before we went online. And uh, thankfully, people just share information about racism. I saw there was yet another road rage incident. That's why I've said consistently that I, uh, I think we should include the commute to and from work because I think uh, Roz numerous times has talked about seeing all these, you know, drunken race soldiers uh, on the train. Uh, and we have had uh, other people uh, who have had problems uh, on the commute, just getting, you know, to and from work where that ends up being a big deal and or racism somehow uh, comes into uh, us just trying to get to work uh, before we've even stepped foot there. So I always include that. And if other people uh, are having commute issues as well, you should share that also or ideas, strategies. That's great because we need uh, as much of that as possible. Um, the next thing, one of the uh, earlier uh, anecdotes uh, that you share or, and just with with the with the commute to get in my suggestion would be uh, if you if it's a train uh, a bus any sort of public transportation and you see whites drinking uh, I would try to get like go to another car uh, I would try to move if possible I know uh, if you're in a big city that might not be possible I mean you know you're lucky if you can get a seat I understand that but if it is an option I would at least consider it uh, just in these times. Like I said, I just saw another incident of road rage uh, where it's it's seeming like it's getting to violence really, really quick. And I mean, I don't have hard data to back this. So Gus could be talking crazy, but it just seems like there are a lot more of these type of incidents happening uh, and too frequently where the black the black person ends up on the bad side. So if you have a commute or anything, you see white people uh, consuming alcohol or anything that looks like this could end up being a bad situation. Just go ahead and relocate because uh, we already got enough problems. Uh, just keep that in mind. That's one suggestion. The commentary about the female, I guess, that was sick. Uh, the other race soldier, she was coughing and sick and then she's coming and uh, touching everything. I think that's good to just to hear that <clears throat> during this season uh, because there's so much of the, you know, we're having a party and bringing food and this and that. And uh, just to kind of keep that in mind, um, I know a lot of people end up being sick uh, this time of year. Uh, I think one of the ways that you could combat that, maybe minimize work to eliminate uh, munching and have feeling like you got to eat everybody's food on the office. If you needed hey, I got peanut allergies or, you know, I'm, I'm trying to drop a few pounds, anything. It's, it's tons of excuses that you can come up with uh, for food. I'm transitioning into a vegan diet or I'm doing this diet or, uh, you know, I got, we, we're going out to eat. I can't eat right. Or I'm just not eating any of whatever. Come up with any excuse that you need. But I think that's great. That includes 
uh, candy dishes and, you know, that sort of thing. Just that way you don't want to be following and, and having your hands uh, touching things that are going in your mouth that other racists uh, have been fondling all day long. I think that's just great code, not just for now, but that's something you can put in place and have that be a permanent uh, thing as you move forward. I think that's great as well about auditing them about your uh, compensation. Uh, that is phenomenal. And that's one of those where I say reading the policy and procedure, that's the type of thing that should if the place that we work for is doing their job correctly, that should be brought up during your initial hire when they give you your all of the training so that you know the resources and what's available uh, at the company and you know what options you have as an employee that should be brought up so that you have all that information when I say that you're in a much better position reviewing that policy and procedure for your job before things are a problem this seems like one of them like oh man you want to know that audit procedure well before there is a problem. You get that check in it's $400 short. You already know the procedure. This is supposed to happen. This is supposed to happen. What's the estimated time range uh, for these sort of things to be resolved? Uh, do you have recourse if you're not satisfied uh, with what happens uh, with the, just all of that to know that beforehand so that this is not a my check is $400 short. Now I got to go home and do a crash course on the process for auditing your pay at this particular company. Hopefully that's logical, makes sense. Oh, yeah, Gus, can I just um, chime in with one last thing? Because something you said jogged my memory. You know that filthy little troll actually did stick her hand in the candy jar that my supervisor has on the desk, and a whole slew of other people were picking candy from that same jar. So, again, this is what germ warfare looks like. When Dr. Wilson talks about them being germ men and calling themselves germ men, it's as subtle as that. Smiling, skinning, and grinning around your desk and touching stuff, you have no idea they're carrying Ebola. And next thing you know, you contracted it and have no idea how you got it. So you're absolutely right. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. I'll meet my line. For sure. Just before I get to um, the other people that dialed in, the number again for people to dial is 641-715-3640. And the code is 564-943-POUND. Press star six if you would like to participate. Uh, I was speaking with... Uh, Chantel is called not be a not. I was talking to Chantel. She called last week, in fact. I was talking to Chantel this week, and uh non white female, she has a white, I guess that's a cowbell too. Uh she has called in regularly and we were talking about workplace racism. She was talking about uh different things she was trying to do on the job. I said last week I was talking about the holidays. Uh they had some sort of office party thing and she didn't participate. And uh she didn't want to attend and it was voluntary and the white still got angry. Uh, we talked about that last week. Uh, we also talked about uh, where she said that this happened this week. Uh, there was an issue with some other office workers. It was not her. Some other non-white person in the office had some sort of item on their desk and them having this item. I don't remember what it was, but it was, it was something non-essential. <laughs> I do remember it was not needed. It was not a stapler uh, you know, a ream of paper. It was nothing like that. It was something that is not needed to do her task or this person's tasks. And the white person came up. It started off with them uh, making a comment or saying something about those items. 
Uh, and then it turned into them making other tacky remarks and then them just trying to take time. That's ended up where it going, where it, this became an excuse. Let me eat up 10 minutes of your day uh, just talking about nonsense. And I said, see, that's what I'm talking about, where having frivolous items on your desk, if it's uh, a photograph of family members, uh, your children, uh, whatever it is, I even know we've had non-white people on the program. They just had like little uh, figurines. They just look like little uh, black people and they, you know, weren't outrageous. Or anything. They would just hang out. And that became a reason for whites to come by the desk. Oh, look at you. Got your little, your little niggers. I mean, oh, your, your little peeps on your desk. Look at a little colored thing. And now we got to come by and say something about that every day. Nothing on the desk but the things that you need uh racists also steal and they're very nosy uh and as i said it can be as simple as this becomes a reason for me to now come and hang out at your desk and to mistreat you or to practice racism you want to eliminate that as much as possible and then if you just want you know gallo explanation uh if racists do decide to terminate you i think we had other listeners talk about that walk of shame where you get your cardboard box you have to pack up everything and leave if you don't have a whole lot of stuff there I don't even need a cardboard box. I'm cool in the gang. I can walk out of here light as a feather. I think that also is helpful, but hopefully uh, we'll codify and so it won't have to get there. Uh, other people uh, that dialed in who have a hand up that we have not heard from, if you have commentary uh, on anything you've heard thus far, or if you have your own situation you'd like to discuss, feel free. Yes, sir. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, so I just, uh, I had called in before about uh, my experience as a, a real estate agent. Um, and I just wanted to give a, a little more about my experience of racism in the industry. Um, so uh, a few things that I experienced was um, my managing broker. Um, uh, there was a oh, there's a lot of things I experienced, but my managing broker at one point um, had uh, told me that uh, he was offering me one third ownership in a development company that was going to purchase the west end of my city, which is where all the black people are, um, and and he said that well I was going to be the only black person so. Uh, he, he was telling me that my skin color alone would grant a whole lot of money. Um, but what we were going to do or not, we, what his plan was to do was he said he would be the brains and I would be the bitch and, um, and, and the muscle and, and getting things done. But he also was saying that I would have to come up with ideas and all that sort of thing. Um, and what he had planned uh, to do was to purchase the West End. So he wanted us to go into to the area, purchase up the land, um, and and then we would renovate it. And what I'm strongly suspecting, I'm, I mean, I, I almost absolutely know it, that we were going to get the land, you know, we we're going to develop it, and then we we're going to sell the land uh, to the white people or the ice albinos that were in the east end or that are in the east end um they used to live in the west end 
of this city. And like all over the country, they had moved out of the inner city and put the black people there. They moved the black people there. Um, well, anyway, they were coming back to purchase the land. And he, he had been telling me um, for a long time what the plants were in the city, like how they had planned, what they were planning to do. In real estate, they plan, they plan things 20 years in advance, 40 years in advance, 100 years in advance. So they, they know all the movements that are about to happen. And then it happens at the exact time that they had planned it. And he had told me a, a number of the plans and what they were going to do to the West End. And I ended up not accepting the deal because I couldn't do that to my people. I, like it, it, it sounded like there was going to be a lot of money, but I know he's a trickster and white people are tricksters. But it would have displaced and gentrified the whole area, although it's going to be gentrified anyway. It's just I, I didn't want that hand in it. Um, and that was, that was, uh, particularly interesting. And then, um, another thing that I experienced. Well, is, before you, before you um, get to like, that one, I just wanted to ask real quick. I hope I didn't disrupt your train of thought. I just wanted to ask real quick when he pitched you this proposal and said, you know, you'll be the bitch and the muscle. And then, you know, you might have to pitch in some ideas and whatever, whatever, like, uh, you know, how did you respond in the moment when he says this to you well well again this is the guy i I had mentioned last week this is the guy who had talked to me about niggers um so it was a very blatant racism and, and like the terrorism he would do it with a smile so to answer your question how did i how did i respond um I, I didn't, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know. I didn't, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't do anything. I just, I looked at him and I nodded my head, just not nodding my head, like saying, yeah, we're going to do that. But I mean, I don't even know what my response was. I didn't know what I was supposed to do, you know? Hmm. Um, yeah. Um, oh man, it, it, it's, uh, like all the, all the landowners, all the white, landowners and the the white men just in general they're all homosexuals and they try to homosexualize people and especially they try to homosexualize black men and so he would do a lot of calling me a, like he but he wouldn't call me a bitch often but he would he just he kept adding a whole bunch of a whole bunch of things like I and I had to get out of the situation just because it was like it's it, it felt physically damaging. Even what he was saying felt it, I, I couldn't deal with it. Um, I really don't know how I responded. Mm. Um, yeah. That's fine. I appreciate the uh, response. You were, I think you were moving to your next incident you wanted to share. Sorry for the interruption. I hope I didn't disrupt you. Not at all. I'm, uh, no problem. Um, oh, the other thing was just that uh, uh, he had said that Oh, another, another, another time. So I had got into the real estate again in 2007 as the market was crashing. Then I watched the market crash, you know, and I was, you know, doing business the whole time and all that sort of thing, you know, barely, but I was doing business and, um, and, you know, an exciting time and everything. Um, and at, after the crash or it's still in a crash, you know, however they say it, but around 2000, 
I don't know, 10-ish, 11, something like that. So not really after the crash, the um, supposed crash or, or the, the length that they said was the crash. At around about 2011, he had uh, told me, well, we sat down with a mortgage broker. I was wanting to buy a house myself because I don't own land. I do not own land, and I want to own land because I know that's the most important thing that you can do is own land. And he, uh, uh, he sat me down with a mortgage broker, and they were going to give me a no-doc loan, um, a no-doc loan, <clears throat> that's no document, and, and, and I didn't have to report. Like, I can, I can make up any number that, of, of income that I, that I could think of because I was a real estate agent. I wasn't a broker at the moment, but, um, but I was a real estate agent. And I could just say, oh, yeah, I project that I'm going to make, I don't know, 100000 if I chose. And, and they were going to give me a loan, like, for real. And I was like, wait, 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 hold up. Uh, this is the same thing that caused the crash. You know, why would you even put me in this situation? We're supposed to be business partners. I mean, I know, like, I explained to him that, you know, he was my enemy as a white person. Not saying, I didn't say him in particular, but I made it clear. People who classify as white, but at that point, point i wasn't saying that i said white people are my enemy and you know i, I know we make that clear but at the same time i felt like you know we're doing business we could we i thought that enemies can still do business and you know not kill each other while they're doing the transaction but for him to put me in the same situation that caused the crash in the first place that caused everybody to go into foreclosure in the first place it just uh, you know i was like did you think I didn't read this, you know, this stuff? That I, I know why the market crashed. Why would you put me in that same situation? So, uh, and, and what, for him to make like three, $4,000, you're going to make three, $4,000 and ruin my entire life. But um, that was another thing. And then the last thing I, just, I wanted to mention um, was, so um, in 2010, this is all, I mean, well, let's say 2010, I was eligible to get my, uh, my broker's license. License. The, um, the broker who I was with was actually a woman. The managing broker is the man. The broker I was with was a woman. And I met all the requirements. And when I, you know, I, I took the class, I mean, I, yeah, I took the broker's class and I passed the test on my first try. And, uh, and all that sort of thing, I was excited. And then when you have to get a broker's signature and she wouldn't give it to me. I was like, but you know, you, you have to give it to me. That's the, that's the rules. That's the laws as I read it. And she told me she didn't feel like I, um, I, she didn't feel like I farmed my circle of influence well enough. She felt basically what she was saying, was she felt like I could have made her more money. And because of the black people I knew and, uh, because I, I'm a musician inside of churches, and so uh, yeah, I was. I had a lot of. I'm a musician inside of mega churches um, often, and so I because I had a large circle of influence to her knowledge. She said that I could I could have done more, and so she wasn't going to sign off. But that's like that's against the law. But I had a hard time fighting it. I mean, I, I didn't actually fight it. I just waited another two years. And then got my broker's license, but you know that was like, dang, you know, I I could have had my my broker's license. You you're messing me up. Um, and then the 
the, the lady I was, the next lady, I, so I left their company and went to another lady and explained the situation. And I had very little money. And I was telling her, you know, I'm trying to get my broker's license. I have, I have these, um, I have these listings. And it was, uh, I had two commercial, well, I had one commercial listing in particular. It was like $33,000. Uh, $33,000 listing, and I had a, a whole bunch of uh, prospects, purchasers, uh, prospective purchasers. It almost got to a sale at one point, and then it didn't work or whatever. And then, like, uh, right when I was getting my broker's license, I, I explained my, my whole situation to her. And right right when I was, uh, I took the test again, passed it, and uh, and while uh, right when I was about to get it, she uh, sent my license back to the real estate agency or excuse me, back to the real estate commission. So then when you do that, the broker owns your listing. And then she took my listing and then she sold the property. <laughs> so I would have got that sale. It was like, it was, it was such, it was in, it was in such a time frame. I would have got the sale, but it, it could have been. So I likely would have got both sides of the sale. That's like $18,000 roundabout. If I had got one side of the sale, you know, divide that by two, but so, so those are just some of the things that I experienced and I just wanted to share and get off my chest. Uh, thank you. Thank you for sharing. I definitely appreciate that. That is uh, remarkable on any friends. Uh, once again, having the race soldier flaunt the law uh, just because she felt like you could. It sounds like, you know, you could have fleeced the niggers, you know. You could have got us even more money from those niggers going to all those mega nigger churches and I'm just not going to do it. And uh, yeah, unless you got muscle to make me sign it, uh, I'm just not going to do it. And that's just that. I, I don't care what the law is. That is, I've said that for years. I've said I, in my experience, no one has more <clears throat> flagrant disregard for like policy, procedure, laws. It is white women in the workplace I'm talking about. No one comes close uh, just from my experience. Um <clears throat> Also thought it was phenomenal. Uh, just your own codification doing this uh, transaction uh, with someone classified as white. And then he said, oh, yeah, you know, we'll do this no document thing and whatever. We'll get you this loan. No worry about it. And just realizing, like, wow, this is not in my best interest at all. Like You're just totally and for nothing. Like you said, he wasn't even going to make, you know, very much money. Maybe he makes <clears throat> A couple thousand dollars or three thousand dollars, I think he said something like that, which is nothing. I mean, you make a few pennies and totally ruin my life. And I mean, they did a lot of that to black people. Uh, anybody that followed <clears throat> what happened with the 2008 uh, economic uh, Chernobyl, as they call it. Um, they did a lot of that, just totally fleecing and taking advantage of black people. And even black people, it's not that these black people were broke. It's not that these black people didn't have money. It was a lot of black people. They did have money. They did have great jobs. And they still just totally economically fleece them, uh, which is you, you really have to have that in mind at all times on the job. Anytime uh, that you're having any sort of contact with a person classified as white, this is an enemy. Uh, and I should function like it at all times. Read all the details. Take as much time as you need. Uh, just to to make sure that you're looking out for yourself, your own best interest and any other black people that, you know, you can check on that are around to your ability. Uh, just do that, because I mean, that that's about what you can expect. Ruin your life. And, you know, I might not have even, I might not have even made any money. Maybe I made five dollars and, you know, ruined your life. It was it was all just for the giggles anyway. Uh, 
other folks that uh, have a hand up that we have not heard from? Uh, do we have other folks that have a hand up we haven't heard from? Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Yes, I am um, calling to share my experience this week for the call-in. Uh, first off, I just want to say the new co- the code that I'm trying out this week and that I learned from the call last week was uh, from, I believe, it was a caller in New York, um, not helping white people, uh, specifically when they are... Um, I had a situation this past week where there was a white female who was having trouble closing a door. And um, I made it a point after I had closed that door several times, it had a little jiggle to it. I made it a point not to, um, to help them. And I feel that uh, again, it's black people or non-white people's behavior that must change. And I believe that code is working for me, helping me to keep focused throughout the day and not get sucked into their um, time consuming usually games that they end up playing. Uh, My experience had to do kind of a follow-up with a South African client that I have. I am self-employed in the remodeling construction business and a client of mine who is South African called me back to her home uh, to perform work. I believe that I was not completely codified and I did engage in conversation with her. And looking back on that, I see that as a mistake. Um, I've learned and I believe my new code is going to be to minimize um, contact, including conversations, because um, the, the the point of the, um, the the issue that really happened was when I was speaking to her, um, she started to get very comfortable and explained to me about her personal problems she's had with her weight. And she told me that after battling with uh, diets for several years, one day she said she finally broke down. And the catalyst was she sat down and ate a lot of chocolate. Um, she said she ate a lot, a lot of chocolate. And those are her words to be exact. And I immediately started thinking of Dr. Welting and about the um, symbolic, uh, the, 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 the use of chocolate. And um, she looked me straight in the eye and told me too. And I was just like, wow, this woman really loves chocolate. And she told me that was the item that broke her diet. Um, I, I felt like maybe I, I should not have spoken to her in depth as I, as I did because I felt she was too lax. She was so lax, I believe um, she asked me, you know, if I was married. And um, I, I told her, yes, I had a spouse and that um, my, my spouse owns a yoga studio. And later on in conversation, she uh, works with medical students. She wanted to have her medical students use a yoga instructor as like a type of therapy for them studying for their board exams. And she asked for my wife's contact information. I feel that that was also a, um, uh, that was a very dangerous situation now that she's kind of getting associated with me. And in the future, I'm going to keep a strict policy of not discussing or talking about my children or um, my, my spouse so that I don't give these dominators access to my family. I feel that now she does have access to my family because she's not only doing business with me, but she has set up to do business um, with my spouse. And uh, that is something I think all victims of racism should be very cautious of because I don't know what she has planned, but now I've kind of introduced that and now have to try to damage control. Um, Another situation with holiday parties, while I don't have a company that 
uh, is sponsoring a party. I'm invited by several people who are either clients or potential clients to their parties. And my wife, the same way, was, um, was invited uh, to a holiday function. And I asked her if there was going to be white people there. She said yes. Now the function is being offered by a non-white black female. So she felt it was safe. And my wife very much is aware of the changes that we try to make in codifying our behavior. So she said, hey, look, you know, it's a black girl throwing the party. So let's, let's go. And I asked if there were going to be um, white people there. She did say, uh, yes, there will be white people there. And um, there will also be liquor. So I expressed to my spouse that I am not interested in going to that type of event because I know that those two things have many callers and as we've seen in recent history and for the history of our relationship with white people, um, liquor is usually a catalyst for uh, terroristic, trashy, tacky behavior. And but, but the issue, the reason I bring that up is because my spouse and I had a conflict over that. We had an argument over this issue of going to this holiday gathering. And granted, I'm not part of it as a company and yet and still we had a, a, a discussion, a conflict, a very small one, albeit, but a conflict over this issue of holiday parties. So again, the racist terrorists are in our homes, even though they don't have to physically talk to us, they can still get into our homes. And I'm amazed at how we're talking about these silly terroristic holidays in, inside of our home and, and it's disrupting the peace between non-white people. Um, but again, I, it, it's something I had never noticed. And my last incident was um, I had a, a client who had scheduled to have her um, formal dining room repaired due to a toilet leak in a um, very prestigious neighborhood or part of the city and wanted to have it done before the uh, horror day Christmas came up. And I had given her a bid for it. This is a white female and she had um, said she was going to get back with me and look over some other bids. Um, she called me day before yesterday and told me that she wanted to use me and that we could schedule. And I told her the earliest I could be there was next Tuesday. Um, because of other appointments that I have. Well, because she wanted to have it done so much before Christmas, I had uh, rescheduled, moved some things around in my schedule in order to get there today, during the day, and to start the project so that it could be done before her family came in for the horror day. She sent me a text message last night at midnight while I was asleep telling me that she had chosen, her husband rather, had chosen another contractor, also white male, and that she will not be needing me to come out in the morning to start the job. I highly suspect that she was practicing racism, white supremacy, and I believe that she is purposefully um, toying. Of course, this time of year, many people aren't thinking of home repairs per se, so business is slow and to make that type of move in the middle of the night uh, to disrupt, for me to disrupt my schedule and then you to disrupt it again because of a change. I suspect that was a, a deliberate act of racism on her part. And just seeing how trifling white people are was toying with non-white people, specifically black people um, on the global plantation. This was a perfect example of that. 
and I will take my call offline. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> I, I mean, that's horrendous. Uh, I'm sorry. Cause I mean, that's money. That's time. Uh, that's the, and I'm in a thousand percent agreement. That's like total deliberate, willful, intended, like, I'm just going to totally abuse you and mess you over. Uh, you went through all this trouble to help me out and ugh, nothing. You're not going to get any. And in the middle of the night, like you said, I just the tackiness of it all. Um, but I appreciate it because I've stated consistently, like I said, even if you work for yourself, if you're self-employed, black entrepreneur, that's great. I'm not saying not to do it. I'm just saying, you know, people sometimes I've heard can get carried away and say that that's going to end your troubles with racism on the job. That is false. Uh, we've heard from people triumph 3000. She called in a few weeks ago and saying that it can improve things. You know, it can make it better. It can, in some respects, give you more control about how you are dealing with these whites. Uh, and you know, you can pick your hours, what have you. And even if you're self-employed and you still do have a job working for whites, I think that was also important as well. It can put you in a position where you're much more confident and you're not totally dependent. So you don't have to tolerate every insult or what have you that, you know, whites want to heap on us. If you are self-employed and you have some other means of income, hey, this has gotten a bit too much. Uh, I'm going to go and sit down. I can do my own thing for a while until I can, you know, figure out something that is, you know, a little bit better for me. Outstanding. But just thinking that this is going to solve your problems with racists on the job you're going to be in for a rude awakening. Uh, that's one. Um, I think to, in terms of the, that was it, uh, the, the holiday party, was it something, was it a, was it a job thing for your wife or was this just like an acquaintance, just somebody that you all know. And she just wanted to go support this black female who was throwing the party. This was a client of hers. And oh. the issue with events is that we make, we do business at events. We meet people and they want to do business with us. And so meeting people is really our, our primary way of getting new business is through word of mouth. I see. I see. Um, I think, I mean, I, I totally understand the logic of the whites and alcohol. You don't have to say anything else to Gus T. I totally got it. I hope listeners do as well. Um, I can see in that context, if that's, you know, a, a integral aspect of the, the business model that you, you all are using, if it's effective, I, I can totally understand why she would want to go. I was just going to say, I do think that it is constructive. Uh, and you did say it was, it was a small, uh, disagreement, disagreement nonetheless. Um, but I do think it's constructive to at least ask those type of questions up front. I think that's major part of codification. Are there going to be white people at this event? Is there going to be alcohol? How long is the event? Uh, just try to get as much detail so that you know what you're getting yourself into. Uh, I think that's just crucially important, even if the decision is we're going to go. You know, we think this is going to be some business opportunities or, or whatever. I just, you know, I don't want to have the whites glaring at me for the next two months. So I'm going to go, I'm going to do my 30 minutes and fine. Okay. I just want to make sure I know what I'm getting into so I can handle myself better. It'd be more codified. I think that's great. Just, you know, know what you're getting yourself into. Um, I think some of, uh, some of the other, uh, details that you share, I just, uh, appreciated. I think I've heard that from other people. The first, uh, situation that you shared the, the people from South Africa that came and they wanted you to do some work. I think you said you, I guess were a little 
not codified uh, in, in talking and she got comfortable and so oh, yeah I've had these weight problems and I've scarfed down all this chocolate and blah, blah, blah. Um, I think that happens to uh, a lot of victims on the job uh, we're in a vulnerable position and you know a lot of us we don't want to anger uh, whites a lot of us uh, so I think a lot of us can can kind of slip sometimes where we are not being as codified as we should and are just kind of chatting about nothing and uh, enduring allowing whites to talk to us yes yes mm-hmm. wow how much chocolate did you- that's a lot of us it's very, it can happen to any of us just in the system i think just being aware of it that's one and then figuring out the next time like okay if i see this start to happen this is what i'm going to do the next time to make a break uh in that if they're feeling like they can get super comfortable with me and just talking about anything or whatever i'm already going to have these are things that i can do uh if it's you know Hold on a second, ma'am. I need to uh, just check in with my colleague really quick or whatever you need to do to interrupt the moment. And then you can get back on code and, you know, uh, I'm not going to be able to uh, talk as much right now, ma'am. I got to get back on this, but I'll, I'll check in with you as soon as I get this part here finished and you'll have a great new deck or whatever it is you're you're renovating. I think all myself included, I think all of us, we can kind of work on uh just ways when we recognize, oh, I'm slipping on my code and I'm talking as though this is not a little racist. Whoops. Let me get myself back together. I think that's a that's a great way we can get ourselves back on track. Uh, unless folks had questions uh, from anything that we any of the folks that we talked to thus far. <laughs> Excuse me. Any other people have uh, comments, questions they want to add? Hey, guys, I wanted to um, say first, I think all of your um, assessments just now were brilliant and um that particular call seems to have a lot of activity with these psychopaths, and um, it seems to be very interesting, um, the types of uh, experiences that he's had. I wanted to touch on the previous caller um, who spoke before him, um, where the where he said that uh, his, his, I think he's in real estate, he said, uh, I think the white supervisor and a lot of the people, white males around there are homosexual. And um, if I heard correctly, and it, it found, I found it fascinating that he would actually say to you that you would be the bitch and the enforcer, because first, by him saying the first thing, um, he's essentially trying to homosexualize and effeminize you right there. But yet, immediately, he goes back to the way that white people view us as far as genetic annihilation and their fear of that. So you go, you go from being basically the the, the a feminized black male to now the enforcer, you know, the guy, the black male who looks like he's, you know, 300 pounds, seven foot tall. And, and also he wants to use you to go into the black community and basically devastate your own space, your own people. And I just find that interesting because when he described the process of, um, of them wanting to use him in order to basically steal these black people's land and probably gentrify them up out of the, the entire city that they're in that section of the city. Um, I could just, I just imagine how many cities that happened in and how, how many non-white people would have taken a deal like that, regardless of what the money was involved and said, I want to get in on something like this. And these are the types of deals of iniquity that they work in secret that to me, that was an exposure of. This is not something you hear about every day, but that's exactly what they do. And when he spoke about um, them plotting, you know, 100 years in the future, it made me think of um, the documentary Hidden Colors because uh, Anthony Browder talked about um, hearing about a think tank that, that they have in Washington, D.C., that he said comes together every two years, and it's a bunch of politicians and city officials, and essentially they plot 
where the rich people are going to stay, where, where they're going to gentrify. And he said they plot up to 200 years in the future and that basically they set a timeline and the city officials work to make sure that the time, timeline functions exactly on point and that those transitions take place exactly when they're supposed to. So everything that he said is completely accurate. And um, I just wanted to chime in on that because I thought that that was a fascinating um, dissertation that he gave earlier. Thank you. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Hopefully, congratulations. I hope your uh, young sporting team did well. And again, more in post, most importantly, no injuries. <laughs> wow. I didn't, I didn't even know that you remembered. <laughs> but, uh, yes, I have something uh, constructive and also good to report. Uh, just start off with... Uh, a couple of the previous two callers, well, the, pre- the last caller, and uh, to to say on how complicated his situation is as being a quote unquote uh, entrepreneur, self-employed. Uh, I would, my suggestion would be that uh, you know that uh, with these parties that that uh, him and his him and his uh, wife you know plan what they're going to do, what they're going to say. And, and, uh, as far as, uh, obtaining clientele, uh, go up to the moment of getting as many as possible and then, uh, exiting the, uh, situation as quickly as possible. Uh, also I, I, I can recall, uh, uh, him mentioning, or maybe it was somebody else mentioning about, uh, the idea of talking about one's personal life, uh, which is a codified no-no, uh, and uh, I think he understands that. That's what it sounds like. He understands that, and uh, that's that's a good good idea to to only divulge as less of uh, information about yourself as possible to, in order to get the job done, uh, so to speak. That's a great idea, and uh, like to commend him on it. Now, uh, to myself, uh, yes. Uh, uh, the high school where I coached at, coach at, uh, uh, were, uh, uh, we won the game. Uh, so therefore that makes us the Florida high school athletic Association's uh, Florida state champions, uh, no injuries. Well, it was an injury in the game. Uh, our, one of our running backs, uh, broke his collarbone in two places. Uh, he was taken to the hospital and uh had surgery uh, but uh he's been back to school so uh uh in that type of injury uh he should recover uh, uh pretty well uh he is also heavily recruited uh, to go to college that's that's the main that's one of the main uh things you're talking about all black coaching staff and all of them I've been on except for when I first started, the very first year I started back in 1981, uh, everybody on the staff has been black. And, uh, uh, but uh, this is actually, uh, uh, with this present coaching staff that I've been, been with now, with the head coach now for about, ooh, about 20 to 25 years, uh, he has made history. He's the only person in the state of Florida to have win one state 
championships in three different places. Uh, so that gives you an idea that the formula that we bring at these places, primarily presenting in front of non-white black males, has been successful. Has been successful despite in this situation, despite white people being being around, meaning the principal, uh, the administrative staff. Despite all of all of that that is around, we have uh, uh, been successful from the standpoint of not just winning a football games or winning a championship. The main issue uh, when it comes to that level is uh, the process of getting black males uh, out of high school and into college. Uh, with the uh, affordability of college based on their athletic talent, they put it towards financing their college uh, time. It's five years to make four, according to the uh, the rules, uh, and uh, in turn, uh, it can result into that black male uh, coming out with this, a, a you know certificate that says I have a degree to be able to transfer that and hopefully into some form of employment uh, for himself and a family. Uh, that's basically been my my uh, position over since 1981. How many years that is? I think it's like 33 years that I've been doing this. Uh, out of all of the seniors that we have on offense and defense, every last one of them will have an opportunity to go to college. Uh, I am uh, happy to say. Uh, uh, different levels, Division One. We also are attempting to uh, bring into uh, the uh, equation historical black colleges uh, uh, to uh, be able to send some of our uh, young males too, uh, and so everything you know went pretty well. The season actually started for me in January of, of uh, January of 2016, and it's just now ending last last Friday with that uh, particular victory. Uh, but it's it's worth it. It's worth it all the time and energy that's devoted towards it, uh, and. Uh, so I mean, it's something that I that I've been doing for a long time, and and think one of the reasons why I'm alive is to be able to do that. I think that's why <laughs> that's why I'm finding that out actually. Uh, so uh, uh, if anybody have any questions or anything, I I'll be open to uh, try to answer them uh, on it. But uh, yes, uh, we were successful, and uh, it's a good thing. Thank you. Congratulations. Glad to hear that. Hope the uh, young fellow's collarbone heals well and glad to hear that. That is outstanding. Black coaching staff doing a great job and young black athletes going out there. Some folks getting some scholarships. Hope they can use that and get as many benefits as possible. Hopefully by the time they get there, they'll have worked out some sort of great compensation package. Uh, so they'll get their scholarship and a whole lot of other goodies uh, to compensate for all the work and money they'll be bringing in for these uh, historically white institutions and their sporting teams. Uh, did folks have questions of anything, uh, any of the folks, uh, what we've heard thus far, or if you had your own situation, uh, feel free. John, you heard Yes, sir. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I guess I was reminded uh, by the person that was talking about his South African client. Um, 
I spent quite some time in South Africa. I actually went to high school there, and um, I was actually employed by someone uh, here in the United States that was from South Africa. And um, we used to sort of, uh, sort of like renovations as well. Um, this is when I was getting like my undergrad degree. And uh, one thing I wish I had been more codified back then, but I just, I didn't know anything about codification or this, or this call. Um, and the person used to like love racist jokes and also used to hate the fact that he couldn't tell racist jokes. But once he, he asked me about, I guess we were talking about food and he started talking about how he remembered something that his mom made out of chocolate. And I, I didn't have it while I was in South Africa. And I was like, what, what are you talking about? And so he, he got really frustrated that I didn't know this thing. And he, he said, um, like, Afrobalikis, which is basically like nigger balls. So I was just like, I was just like looking at him and I was like, what, what is this guy? And so I had to ask some of my South African friends about it, but he was, he just loved it. He couldn't stop talking about it, like how his mom used to make it on special occasions and everything. And I was like, and um, I had forgotten about this. And so I just, I was just reminded by the, by the other caller. And I was like, that this, you know, this male just, can't stop talking about these nigger balls, and he he's very angry that, <laughs> that I don't know about them. Um, just to, I guess, um, I was listening to the show. I haven't been able to call in. The teachers in the, the South African schools, the ones that were terrorizing the girls in Pretoria, um, I just realized, I was just thinking about it, I just realized that when I was there, the whole school was all the teachers were white and all of the male teachers, which is something interesting, were all ex-military. They were all part of the apartheid government military because that was mandatory. So I was just thinking about how you know black parents send their kids to these schools that are so-called par schools and you're going, you're being sent to schools for professional terrorists, which is um, quite interesting. Um, my last comment is about uh, really quickly. I, I was just thinking about when the person was talking about temp jobs. Um, I just remembered like an internship experience that I had. Um, and I think those situations can be really dangerous, especially if you think that you, if the internship is supposed to get you an offer at some point. And I guess my internship that I did um, usually there's a project with your internship, especially if it's a, like a, um, depending on like what kind of degree you're getting and whatnot. And the person gave me, my manager and that gave me like three projects. And I think most people had one. And on one of the projects, the main project, the person gave me false information, like, okay, go talk to this person and they should just give you, this thing should be easy. And it turned out to be like a really difficult thing. Plus I had three projects. And so it was almost impossible for me to complete. And what was interesting was that um, the situation was very dynamic and the there was like a, like a non, 
quite non-black person around my area who sort of like who also had an internship and he started asking me about my project and I showed him my project and and I really wasn't interested in his project because I, I was just I was just really focused on my project and I remember just like maybe like a week before like my final presentation she says oh you know so and so you're in that's your competition and I'm like like what <laughs> so i basically showed my project to my competition because she didn't i didn't even know i had competition i thought i was competing against myself so and during like our final meeting when she didn't tell me when she was telling me that basically i didn't get the offer she um basically started using like confusing terms like meritocracy um things like that and um, and I was just quiet, just looking at her, but I guess I would advise people in like trying to get internships where you can get an offers, keep it as, it might seem crazy, but keep it as simple as possible so that you can focus on one thing, like one project so that you can accomplish that project and keep the, your time there as least dynamic as possible. Cause you can get thrown all kinds of things at you. And I remember, I think even like a week before she added even more things to my work and I was like and I didn't do it by then because I was just I was just fed up um but yeah that's all um thank you for letting me share for sure theme uh for the program uh this evening at least uh black uh yeah black people uh being taken advantage of either as interns or uh, if you're a temp employee uh, being taken advantage of, same thing. They'll put that little carrot out there like, oh, we got you. Full time benefit. Uh, uh, and you just never get it. <laughs> you keep doing all this work and slaving and slaving and slaving. And then, they, oh, you gave it to this person. Oh, we just don't have any openings or oh, whatever the excuse happens to be. Uh, other folks in that uh, withholding of information where you don't even know that you are competing against someone else, that's standard information as well. Uh, again, Dr. Cambon talked about that when they say we are disadvantaged. Uh, he submits that's what they mean, uh, that contrary to popular opinion, white people are not ignorant about racism. They are much more informed uh, than we are about how things are operating on a planet dominated uh, by white supremacy. Uh, oh, and make sure I get in as well the book a world more concrete. I thought of it and I just was talking. Someone was asking me about uh, top books and I was saying a world more concrete is not in my top 10, but whoa, it is right there. Maybe it should be uh, NDB Connolly, Black Mayo. We had him on the program last year. If you are a black person and you uh, if you were born in the state of Florida or you reside in the state of Florida, you should read this book. It is a great history uh, about the history of real estate and white supremacy, land, property ownership. Uh, and just totally obliterating uh, black homeowners and <laughs> renters, whatever it is. If you're a black person and you need a, state, a place to stay in Florida, you should probably check this book out. Or even if you're a black person, you have a place to stay, you should check this book out. A world more concrete that it goes to exactly the point that was made. And when Mr. Uh, B. Connolly was a guest on the program last year, it was because he did... Uh, a program where he lighted out exactly what was stated earlier, that white people will have plans for 100 years. In fact, during that interview, uh, they have the plans online where you can see where white people were talking uh, in like 1900. This is what we want this area to look like uh, by 2000. And it does. And you can see how it evolved over time, where they wanted the Negroes to be, where they wanted the white people to be. 
exactly that. Again, why people are not ignorant about racism, a world more concrete in D. B. Connolly. Great book. Uh, other folks that we have not heard from, did you have uh, commentary, questions, uh, your own experience you wanted to share? Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. I wanted to share um, an observation and a personal experience. Um, this particular observation occurred yesterday towards the end of the shift, about 4.30. Shift ends at 5. A, um, a separate department from mine, I work in a health insurance setting for Medicare Advantage. So most of our customers are older um, people, over 65, receiving Medicare, which is government funded. Um, this department was um, basically the, the, the responsibility of this department was to accept requests from physicians to get medical procedures done for our customers. The workload was so extreme and the staffing was so low that the supervisor of this department, a non-white black female, was forced to have her staff delete the documents and request new documents with a new date because the workload was so extreme they weren't able to approve the documents in time. There's a due date, um, I think it's like 42 hours where you have to approve these procedures and these documents. A lot of documents weren't being able um, to get approved on time, so they would delete them and have them resent as if it never happened. This is considered fraud. Um, this supervisor let upper management know that staffing was short. The, the staff had been on mandatory overtime for over a month and work wasn't getting done on time. Upper management refused to create new positions to fulfill the workload. And um, they ultimately fired this supervisor. It was a huge scene. Um, they escorted her all the way to her car. They didn't allow her to gather her little trinkets from her desk. Um, it was, it's, um, it's odd because there was a Christmas event today and considering this is fraud, um, our company will now be investigated by um, a federal agency, CMS. So it was interesting to see all of upper management, who are all white females, they were just smiling and cheery like nothing ever happened. <laughs> and um, my personal experience is an update with my manager. Um, I spoke about her about a month ago. She had written me up for um, an approved half day off. Um, she, we recently uh, were supposed to have a week's pay bonus for Christmas. And the Friday or the Thursday before I expected my bonus to be in my bank account, about 4.30, she came along to my desk and she put her arm around me and she whispered in my ear and she said, um, I'm so sorry, but you're not getting your bonus because you were written up. Um, there was nothing I could do about it. It's policy. It's procedure. 
thanks to you, Gus, I had reviewed that policy and procedure. Bonuses are up to manager's discretion. It had nothing to do with my uh, write-up. And before she walks away, um, I actually thanked her for warning me so I didn't have to be upset Friday morning. And before she walked away, she looked at me and she said, you know, I'm so glad that you made the decision not to go to the other department, not to transfer. I'm, I'm just really happy that you made that decision. And I think her saying this, I might be wrong, but I think her saying that was a way of letting me know, like, hey, if you try to transfer again, something, I'm going to retaliate. Um, and that's all. Thanks for letting me share. Wow. <laughs> that is extra gangster. <laughs> wow. That is uh, on both ends of it, your personal and then the, the first uh, situation. Remember what I said earlier about those trinkets? That's the other end. Like I said, now people can look at it as, oh, that's gallows humor. And oh, it's, you know, such a sin. Whites, if they want to fire you, it's really nothing that can be done about it. If they really decide that they're done with you. Uh, if that time comes, we hope it doesn't, they might not even allow you to get your trinkets. That's another reason to not have that stuff on your desk to begin with. Uh, I'm not surprised at all uh, that she gets the boot. And that came up last week. We had the caller that wrote in uh, where she worked uh, at an insurance company and they weren't doing work. Same type of thing. They were not. Well, some white person wasn't doing his job, wasn't cutting people's checks. People are calling in mad, can't get things done because they aren't getting their check from the insurance company backlog. And then they know that this person hasn't been doing the job. So then we'll go through this farce and pretend, and then we'll just blame it on generally find somebody black uh, to blame it on. Uh, and then we just go about our business. They're not ignorant. They know these people are incompetent uh, and stealing or whatever else that they're doing, uh, playing bingo, as opposed to doing their job. They know this. Uh, we know we don't have enough people uh, to get all this work done. And then fraud is usually just delete them and act like, they were never here to begin with. I mean, these are the type of things that are happening all the time uh, on the job. And white people, it's been my experience that white people, they tend to be more knowledgeable that these type of things uh, are happening. They know other white people. This is their, you know, brothers and cousins and friends. They know folks, you know. Um, so on that end, I'm not surprised that they could, have, they could, that they could blame uh, the one person who I guess was trying to alert folks that this was happening and that this was a problem and that something needs to be done about this, this person getting terminated and they can't even get their trinkets. And then we go right on about our Christmas party and Yuletide and good cheer. And <laughs> I mean, just the, the tackiness of it all. That's, I think that adds to why this is such a, um, just unpleasant season to put it mildly for a lot of people just the the tackiness of racist man racist woman racist child is really glaring in my opinion during this time of year uh, but that purse situation and then with you personally that is my word policy and procedure too at always beautiful that's music to my ears hearing people saying that they had already reviewed their policy and procedure so they knew what the rules were regarding what was happening uh but that is my word i have a whole tab on my browser for that discretion <laughs> i have said that is like that has got to be uh whites one of their favorite terms that is just racist code for feel free to practice racism at will <laughs> you can just do whatever you want make it up as you go 
that's what it means. Feel free to practice racism at will. Uh, just that term, it comes up so often. It's so pivotal. Uh, when you see that pop up in policy, like you should be, oh, I'm going to catch it. That's what you should know already. I'm going to catch it. And then you can start working on things that you can do to try to cut that off. But anywhere you see that in policy and procedure, this is not going to work out well for me. Every time you see that word, um, the hand that just, it, that's why I said that's so gangster. Cause that just seems so godfather to me to come up and, Oh, let me console you. Yes. Hmm. No bonus for you this year. Sorry. And if you think you're going to try to transfer again, I think I agree with your assessment of that. If you, you know, think you're going to relocate someplace else, there are other things we could take. Have a nice day. I mean, that's just total gangster racist move. Like, why did you, was there anything else you wanted to add? Or are you good? I'm good. Thanks, guys. Stunning. Stay on your toes uh, with the job. Wow. Uh, if, uh, other folks, we have not heard. Oh, wait a minute. I need to uh, read. I need to get some of these in. So different person wrote in. Okay. Black male victim of racism. Uh, number two, my friend is a black male victim of racism. Number three, everyone else uh, in this report is either a racist or a suspected racist white person. Uh, so on Thursday, February 4th of this year, my department had its weekly staff meeting. The meeting included the planning director, uh, the planning manager, the transportation manager, the zoning manager, and some of their staff. Uh, this person actually lists names. My general policy has been to not read names just because I don't want to make an error and read somebody's name for a job where they don't want to be identified or what have you. So just for my code, so I don't slip one day and identify someone, I'm going to see. I think I am not going to be able to do it because they're just identifying people. So you would have no idea who is who in the story. Wow. Well, <laughs> so let me go back and read this and put the names back in. So on Thursday, February 4th, 2016, my department had its weekly staff meeting. The meeting included the planning director, Aaron Eric Vinson, planning manager, Tom Meeks, transportation manager, Keith Brockton, zoning manager, Scott Parks, and some of their staff, uh, Patricia St. John's, Tyler Stone, Suzanne Terry, and Monica Floyd, and the person writing this, the victim of racism, black male. Uh, during the meeting, Eric brought up one of the department vehicles and making sure that when you hear something wrong with the vehicles, that staff should report it. At that point, I said that sometimes some of the noises that come out of a car can seem normal and the noises might not come off as something being wrong with the vehicle. At that point, Eric said that he disagrees with my assertion and that what I said lacks common sense. Direct quote. I admit that I didn't like what Eric said, but more than that was was which the tone he used when he said it in a tone of rudeness and a bit of condescension. After the meeting, I was approached by Suzanne and she said about Eric's comment. Eric was being a dick. Direct quote. At this point and for the rest of the day, I was not sure what I was going to do about it. I spoke with a friend about what I should do about what transpired. He advised me to sleep on it before doing anything so that I could not be emotional. Great recommendation. Uh, the next day, I decided that I would speak to Eric about the rudeness of what he said the day before. But first, I decided to speak with my immediate manager, Keith Brockton. 
rocking ton about what happened in yesterday's staff meeting. Keith agreed that what Eric had said was rude and that I should speak with Eric about it. Keith also thanked me for telling him first before doing anything else. <clears throat> Keith went on to say that Eric went on to say that after Eric said what he said, though the other people in the room might have been snickering, if you looked over to me, I didn't have a smile on my face. That's all a direct quote. Keith advised me to be as respectful as possible when speaking with Eric. Next, I went to go speak with Tom, my former manager, and Tom agreed that what Eric had said was rude and that I should speak with Eric and tell him how I felt about what Eric said. Tom said that sometimes managers might say something that they regret, and sometimes we got to remember that we have to take care of our staff as well, which I really appreciated, and that managers should be receptive to their staff when a problem arises and that Eric should be receptive as well. Tom did advise me to be as respectful and tactful as possible. Finally, I went to speak with Eric. I looked Eric in the eyes and told him that I felt what he said yesterday was unprofessional and rude. Eric then responded that he did not feel he was being rude, but that he was disagreeing with what he said with what I had said, excuse me, and that's a direct quote, and reasserting that what I said lacked common sense, in quotes, <clears throat> but that it was not a statement directed at me. It was at that point that Eric decided to tell me about something that I had recently done. Back on Wednesday, February 3rd, 2016, I was covering the front counter in the zoning department. Eric said that while at the front desk, someone complained about me texting on my phone, giving the perception that county staffs are not doing their jobs. But while he said every word, I looked him in the eye, refusing to look away so that I can take in everything he said. I assured Eric that I understand what he was saying and that I wouldn't do that again. Now, Eric did mention the zoning department front desk situation in the staff meeting yesterday to the entire group, not directed at any particular person. Eric continued to speak, telling me about what I had done in the front desk, along with disagreeing with what I said about some noises in a car sounding normal, meandering around his selected words and tone, conflating both to his responsibility in his position to correct when I or any other staff member does or says something wrong. Eric finished by saying that if I'm looking for an apology, that he doesn't have one for me. It was at that point, after a couple seconds of looking each other in the eyes and awkward silence, then Eric, looking away, concluded our conversation. On a side note, this is the second rude indiscretion that Eric has done, but the first I'm documenting. Back during the first week of November 2015, I don't remember which specific day, Eric came into my office to address a problem with a report for the transportation improvement plan, and Keith was out for the week on his honeymoon and could not be reached. So Eric enlisted my help so that we may address the issue. Eric, while in my office, proceeded to pull up a chair and put his feet on the side of my desk, not the top of my desk. But I do think at that point, Eric did realize what he was doing and almost immediately put his feet back on the floor. At the time, I felt this to be rude. And after talking with a friend, I let it fall to the back of my mind.
end of uh, their commentary. Um, I guess in this situation, uh, and I was even thinking as I was reading going along myself, uh, I think it can be a good idea for those type of situations to already have uh, in mind, uh, like ideally what you would like to see happen in a situation. Uh, I'm not sure if this person was going in seeking an apology or if they just wanted acknowledgement that, you know, that was unprofessional uh, and I should have been more courteous in the way that I uh, expressed myself to you. And I will, you know, make sure that I'm treating you and everyone else who works here courteously uh, as we move forward in the workplace. I think that maybe would be like an ideal acknowledgement of the situation, maybe saying that publicly uh, in staff meeting. I know that's done sometimes as well. Um, but just, you know, kind of have that in mind, uh, how you would like things to proceed uh, moving forward. Uh, if this is uh, a race soldier who is just going to be tacky and uh, unprofessional and discourteous with you, I think a lot of us have had experiences dealing with those sort of whites. I don't know what your plans are uh, in terms of if this is a spot that you want to try and stay long term, uh, career wise. Uh, if that's the case, <clears throat> those type of individuals uh, it would become lots more questions uh, like you made a statement uh, about, you know, a person could hear a noise in the vehicle and it might they might not think that that means that there is a problem that needs to be reported. Uh, I would try to put everything in the form of a question. Uh, it should be more difficult to get in trouble uh, or to be to have someone talking down to you and nasty, although, you know, racist, they do that a lot. But uh, to put things in the form of a question and then I would begin noting uh, if this is going to be an all the time type thing uh, where anytime that I say something or express a view or ask a question uh, that I'm uh, that I'm going to be publicly humiliated uh, document and then contrast that with others to see if other people are being talked to or treated in the same manner. Uh, just so that you can, if you want to present this sort of information to just show why is it that I'm being talked to discourteously and it doesn't seem that other people are being talked to in this sort of manner. I personally, uh, I would try to move, not use the term rude. Uh, I would, my preference in a work environment would be, is this a professional way that we talk to everyone else? That's the way that I would frame it rude. Uh, I think a lot of times people can take the term rude and just make that seem, oh, this is just your sensitive or your feelings or that sort of thing. Uh, just is this the professional way that we speak to everybody in the office? And if not, why am I being singled out uh, for this unprofessional way of conversation, of speech in the office that no one else has to endure? That's the approach that I would take. Uh, there was someone uh, who interrupted. Uh, did you have commentary? Yes, I apologize. I was paying attention to the interaction, the person who wrote the letter in, and the description of looking someone in the eye uh, twice, I believe. I, I can remember him, him or her saying, I have found that looking dominators in the eye has given me two results. Of course, we're all, quote, unquote, uh, given this education that says we should look people in the eye when we speak to them. But for some reason, I found maybe it's just black male, non-white male, looking a white woman or man in the eye when they are trying to uh, terrorize or um, bother us in some way. It seems to turn them on like dragon. I mean, turn them on where they just you can almost 
feel the hate in their eyes. I haven't found it to be too helpful in situations like that. Of course, other people might have had different experiences, but I have found when I look white, specifically white men in the eyes or white women, um, they just, they just, the rage comes out and it just escalates the situation to a whole nother level. I generally don't win or don't have the better of the two, uh, in, of the, in the situation. Maybe pe- other people have thoughts on that. Thank you. Great observation. He did mention the, uh, looking him in the eye, uh, multiple times. That used to be a part of the, uh, code noir, the black codes. They called that reckless eyeballing. Uh, if you're looking a white person in the eye, like, oh man, that could, uh, you could lose your testicles for that sort of thing. Like, uh, that is not been tolerated, uh, on the plantation for long periods of time under the system of white supremacy. Um, uh, yes, sir. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's almost like an animal looking at your prey. You know, you want to watch it die. And I get that same vibe um, from making the eye contact. It's almost like turns them on. Like, okay, yeah, I got his full contact as I, you know, totally um, practice, you know, racism, white supremacy on him. Uh, I wanted to say something about the temp jobs. Um, I worked as a temp um, at a job before. And I didn't have prior knowledge, but the company, they would only hire you. Um, they would hire anyone after 90 days of service. Um, you couldn't miss a day or take a day off or, or be late or anything. And during the 89th day, um, I, I was totally unaware, you know, but they came to me and said, hey, you know, we're going to have to let you go. And I was kind of thrown back because everything was going well. But a week later, you had a call to come back. So I was like, wow. So then I started another 90-day cycle after that week. And um, that's when someone put me on to what was going on. Like, yeah, you know, they um, you know, they, they don't want to hire you. So what they're going to do is they're going to let you go after 89 days. They wait a week and then pick you back up and um, do the same thing. You know, and he said he's been doing it for years. I just um, said, you know, that's one of those things they dangled to get you into the place, you know, um, you know, yeah, we need people and, you know, um, just good, but it didn't, you know, it doesn't work out that way. I'm just still going to do what they do. Um, and um, also, it was another situation you brought up. I had a comment on, I can't think of it right now, um, that in the short period of time I was watching the show, um, listening to the show, um, it was another situation. But um, definitely the eye contact thing, um, I, I would say, um you know, I mean, I wouldn't say don't do it, but um, they get a kick out of it. And um, with the eyeballs, also, um, it's a movie. It always stands out to me with um, Lou Gossip. And I think it's uh, Richard Gere, a young Richard Gere. Um, I think Officer and a Gentleman. No, uh, not Officer. It might be. And, he's, you know, he's like, Lou Gossip's like the, the drill sergeant telling him, don't eyeball me, boy, you know. And I'm um, saying that to the white man. I just thought that was, you know, funny because that is, it will always work out the opposite way in real life. And I'm with my mom. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Hello? Yes, ma'am. We can hear you. Hi, Princess. Oh, hi. Uh, I hope the weather is uh, okay where you're at. Absolutely not. It's uh, it's 33 degrees. 
okay. Well, you sound like you're doing okay so far. So, um, um, I just wanted to share as far as, um, well, I've been out on leave because I had surgery back in towards the end of October. Um, but, you know, I'm still, you know, out right now. But basically, um, I, I've been meaning to call in about my uh, overall condition and um, just the overall process um, post-op. Um, but just been kind of out of it and very tired and in a, a lot of pain. But uh, basically, what I've had to experience was actually coming from the um, office out in Metairie because I had the surgery in Louisiana before I had to leave um, to Florida. And um, so um, before that, you know, two months in advance, you have to plan for a lot of things to be done and completed um, before you do the surgery just because you're not going to be, I wasn't going to be able to be mobile and walking around and stuff. So I needed pretty much assistance all, all the way uh, throughout this. And um, so uh, a lot of things like getting my medications, everything filled and ready to go, was supposed to be done. All of my main stuff was taken care of. All of my initial uh, pain medication was taken care of other than my topical creams and, and scar ointments and stuff. That was supposed to be done by the receptionist, who happens to be a white female. The nurse or the um, doctor's assistant is a black uh, female. The doctor, I, I suspect he is a gay white male. Um, but nonetheless, um, everything overall, as far as the surgery, went well. It was uh, post-op where I ran into uh, issues, and it's just been primarily from this communication from the receptionist who had been uh, rude, discourteous with my mom. Um, it seemed as if when we was in there after the surgery, when I needed to try and uh, look at getting, my mom wanted me to get another boot or shoe versus the one that they gave us in the hospital. Um, it was as if she felt that I didn't deserve that to get, the, the boot or uh, this other type boot, and it was recommended to us while we was waiting to be seen by another patient who was also a black female. So when we asked about it, the black nurse, um, when she saw the white uh, receptionist bring uh, this other boot or whatever it was, she immediately said, oh, no, she's not going to get that. So she went and got the proper one. Um, and you, you could tell that she was already getting agitated with her, the white female. So we just brushed it aside um, and left it alone. So I had to go back to Florida for emergency and a uh, lot of stuff going on. And I thought that we had to do my uh, follow-up appointment on the 22nd um, of November along with getting my sutures and stuff taken out. Turns out we had to be back within a week. So we had to drive same day uh, to get to the, um, well, we were told that we had to drive to New Orleans to get my sutures 
and my stitches taken out. Turns out that wasn't the case. So it was just um, a very stressful process because we had just left New Orleans only for this receptionist to tell us that we had to come back, and she said because it was a liability issue. On top of that, she never told the doctor. So by the time we was heading into New Orleans and he realized that we were literally on our way from Orlando, he um, offered to stay after hours just so that way by the time we got there, we got there like quarter to six, they closed at five. And it was storming and everything. So um, we had to stay overnight, um, get a hotel room. But he went on ahead and saw us because he was obviously mad. He kept on uh, saying a lot of stuff indirectly towards this receptionist because he also later on uh, revealed to me that he's been having problems with her. And he he, he admitted that, but at the same time, he was saying, well, you know, she still needs to go through training and stuff like that. And immediately I'm thinking to myself, it's always, it always falls back on, oh, they just need to be trained. They, they just need more training and stuff. And I just can't imagine um, somebody who, you know, somebody who would have had the type of surgery that I had to have to sit up there and, and just, go through all this stuff because your receptionist gave us this information and that cost us money. And then the second screw-up was the fact that the doctor had no idea that I had none of my topical cream. So after I had my sutures removed on the 8th um, for basically almost a month, I've been without any of my pain medication for the topical stuff. So when I was experiencing these spasms and I would call, she, she wasn't relaying the information to anybody because she didn't want to be blamed um, for the fact that she's the one that processes the prescriptions that goes to the pharmacy um, facility that they use in Baton Rouge. There was a, uh, some issue in regards to my insurance, not that it wasn't covered, but it was the type of medication, um, it was like a compound of some sort. Um, it just had to be um, filled in a different type of facility uh, through a certain pharmacy. But nonetheless, she never communicated that to him. So when I did call, she was very rude to me, very discourteous. So I wanted to speak to the nurse. She refused to allow me to speak to the nurse. And so I told her I was going to call the doctor. So once I called him, and left a message. He called me as he was on the phone, um, leaving from work. And that's when he had revealed to me, you know, we've had problems with her before. And, you know, she can come off. On the one hand, he, like he said, he wasn't trying to take up for her. He was just explaining. But he said, this is not the first time, yada, yada, yada. I just told him, look, I just needed the stuff that I needed because I'm walking around here in excruciating pain. and." Um, I just want to make sure that this is healing up right. And, you know, I basically, other than just doing general stuff, just been in bed. And so um, they basically, once they found out what was going on, he called the insurance, um, explained to them what was going on. In a nutshell, I don't know what happened, but the next day I was getting calls from people in Baton Rouge and everything and they 
pretty much wind up having to pay um, for all of the uh, medicines and stuff. And they had to overnight everything uh, to me um, because I had told them that basically I had to wind up going to a regular retail pharmacy and just getting some scar cream, and I've been using Neosporin. And the pharmacy rep, like, she she just kind of freaked out. She was just like, what? And so, you know, she just, they just kept on apologizing, probably because they knew they could get in some serious trouble. But, um, yeah, that, that was my thing. And even now, like, I had to call just the other day to get in this extension for my disability and she answered the phone and didn't address who she was um and it's just I it just seems like whenever I have to call there because she is the receptionist it's always um I'm just on edge because I'm anticipating white hair at any at any moment with her so I just try and um, stay reserved and stay, you know, get from point A to point B and just get what I need and just hang up the phone with her. But that that was my situation. Just need to have a little uh, little patience on that training, Princess, and you know, she'll come around. Um, I I really I thought that was uh, a great observation because it's the exact same thing it doesn't matter if it's daniel holtzclaw raping black females if it's darren wilson gunning down black teens uh if it's this you know white race soldier uh who is making it so that you don't have uh your appointment set up or that you have to go all the way to new orleans in the first place just for people i know we have international listeners Florida and Louisiana are not that close if you got to drive, particularly southern Florida. It's not that close. That's a I have driven. I have not driven from Florida, but I've done like Georgia to Louisiana. That's not close either. So I can only imagine having to add the extra having to drive from Florida, particularly southern Florida to Louisiana. That is a lengthy amount of time to have to do all that driving because whites have botched the information uh, when the doctor could have recommended someone uh, where you are in Florida. So you could have cut out all that driving. I think that might even be a thousand miles. I mean, we're talking a a hefty chunk of driving in a storm, uh, no less. When you have whites who uh, are botching information and messing up your appointments and messing up your information so that when you have a surgery, something as serious like that, and you don't get all the uh, pain medication you need, you're hurting. You're having to deal with that and be in pain on a daily basis just because whites, racists have that much control over our lives. That is the magnitude of this problem. And it's not a training issue. It is totally not. She's just ignorant or she doesn't know what she's doing. That's not it at all. This is probably some no count white woman uh, who is not like brilliant. I'm sure she's not some Ivy League educated white woman who's working uh, as a receptionist in this doctor's office. This is probably some no count white woman who could be on drugs or anything. And she's there. And this is the type of authority. These are the type of problems uh, that she can make for black people. I'm sure you're not the only one where she can just terrorize them. And I mean, just all of these problems. And you notice you go down there. I don't know the time frame, but you go uh, to go see the doctor in Louisiana to see about your, your foot and everything. 
You come back, you have another interaction, she's still there. She doesn't get fired. You see that with black people. We forget to fill out a form. You come in with mismatch socks, mismatch socks on. Oh, here's your pink slip out of here. This white woman can cause all of these problems. She's still answering the phone and doing a poor job at it, apparently. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Yes, uh, to keep it on on focus with work, workplace racism. Uh, let's say on the job injury, uh, something that uh, you know that requires surgery or or anything. What is what is absolutely valuable is having uh, a someone who cares about you, uh, whether it's biologically or or, or not. Uh, to be able to have a relationship with a person that can actually speak for you on your behalf because you never know what type of situation you would end up being in as far as, like, you know, uh, this presence or, or even worse situation to be able to speak for you because these white people, as I've been hearing and also understand, is in all different type of positions. As you mentioned, this no-account white woman that just sits at the desk, you know, can screw up everything with you. And in some cases, let's say if you ain't incapacitated or, or, or in a situation where you really can't speak up for yourself, can really ruin things even worse than what you're even going to the hospital for. So it's always good to have someone that can speak and act on your behalf. Uh, a lot of times it, do, it doesn't come to our mind uh, for various reasons, but it's something that I think is vitally important, vitally important to uh, to to plan that 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 particular uh, 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 situation. Uh, uh, I, I just recently uh, went to the to my credit union and uh, 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 called up and had my uh, youngest sister to be uh, my benefactor because you never know something may happen to you uh, uh, and no one can get access to your your banking account that needs to you know that sort of thing uh, and so it, it, it's always good to plan that out uh, with with if you know some of us may not even have that type of person but some of us do and, and just make sure you inform that person and have that planned out on what your 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 understanding and wishes are, uh, because these white people are everywhere, and uh, that's all I have to say on that. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, one other uh, bit I did want to share, and then other folks that we missed. If we missed anybody who hasn't been able to comment at all, uh, you can share. If you have your own situation you want to discuss, or if you have commentary you want to share on what we've heard uh, thus far, uh, the caller who wrote in and uh, shared the situation that happened where the supervisor was being rude Um, in that situation where you, I think you kind of went around and asked some of the other coworkers, white coworkers, I presume um, what they thought. Cause I think some of them were in the meeting. I think he said that there was a white woman who came up to him immediately and said that this guy was rude. And then he asked some people subsequently, Uh, I would caution about that. I probably would not engage in very much of that. Really, I might not engage in any of it 
what does it mean to be white? I could easily see, uh, and it might not happen every time, but I could certainly see a situation where uh, I have a problem or I've been mistreated or I am considering, you know, a situation that happened in the office. And then I go around and ask other white people what they think about the situation, particularly if it involves another white person. And they end up going and telling that white person, like, oh, man, Gus is going around here saying that he thought you were rude and trying to see what other people think. I don't know if he's going to try and come uh, just, you know, give you and they could have done that in this situation anyway. When Eric had a heads up that you, you know, were upset. Uh, his little feelings were hurt. He said we were they could have done that anyway. It's been my experience. Whites, they talk to each other. They network. I mean, wow, you would be amazed. So I would caution against that uh certainly you know if you for whatever reason if you think it might benefit you or you know they were present so you just want to get their perspective but that's at least something that i would think about uh those white people they're not your friends uh they easily could go and inform other whites that you're talking about this or thinking about this and that sort of thing so just be mindful of that uh, is there anybody that we missed completely anybody who has not commented at all can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Greetings, everyone. This is 1842. Um, and I'm so happy that you just said that, Gus. That was like my note, and I was <laughs> waiting to get my finger fast enough on my mute button to say it. But I wouldn't trust any white people at the job in their opinion. Um, I definitely agree with Gus that they could totally go and be telling uh, that white man that how you felt. Um, but they could also just be provoking a situation, too, I think where they would like to see how this plant pans out or they already know that maybe Eric is just rude and like knows that this is how he's like, they might have more Intel on Eric that, and they might know that you going and doing that, like begging you want to do that is going to put you in a very uncomfortable compromise situation in his office where, you know, he tells you, or if you're looking for an apology from me, uh, you're not going to get it. Like they, like Gus was saying, they do talk amongst themselves like they're close. Um, maybe not friends, but they they know more about each other than we will know about them. And um, I could totally see them doing that and colluding, you know, watching it pan out or waiting to hear from Eric when he says what's going to happen. Or I think it was, I think in the email, and I could be mistaken, that maybe you and maybe one other person, or it might just be you, are the only black people in this story and everybody else is white. Um, so, you know, there are a few situations and even in the media these days too, like some of the things I've been, I don't really watch a lot, but that I have seen, they, they like to cause a lot of confusion for the non-white person. Um, and so that you just kind of feel like stuck. When I was envisioning your story, it seemed like there was just a moment where it was just kind of like stuck. Like, well, what do I do? Or what do I say now? Like, I don't even know what to do. And um, I think they get off on that. Like they like to see, uh, to terrorize non-white, specifically black people and put them in situations where they'll be belittled, berated and um, humiliated. I mean, that was like double, like it was humiliating for me when hearing your story, uh, humiliating when he did it humiliating even like having people come up to you for, for me it would have been like in talking about it but not doing anything about it um and then humiliating to go to the situation like it had been on your mind you had to sleep on it like that's a lot to see you go through all of that and then for it for it to be topped off the way that it was um 
And I think that they could foresee that. Like, you know, white people, I feel like, stay in a constant state of kind of like chess playing, always maneuvering and being strategic in how they want to have whatever sadistic outcome they do. So I am sorry that that happened because when I heard your story, I was like, that has to be, I understand completely what it's like to be humiliated in front of a bunch of people. And then you don't even know what to do. So you have to like think about it for a long time and you probably don't, you know, sleep well and you come in and all that stuff. Um, I'm also a very big fan of emails. Uh, I email for everything even if for everything, number one, I don't like talking to white people. Um, But number two, it gives me, it gives me a record and you can ask for send receipts or or red receipts also like to confirm that a person received your email. And I've learned to change the subject line of my email and make it seem like it is something completely benign. So you open it um, and boom, there it is what it is I'm trying to say. So, um, that might be something in the future if, like, you find yourself in this situation again, you know, um, and that way you're also able to avoid any of the, like, words that are not constructive, um, like rude and I felt like and stuff like that. Like, you can write it and it can be very uh, counter-racist productive and make sure that the point is made. It's in writing, which makes it really official. Like, white people do respond to things being written because another thing also bearing in mind, they don't know who you be. C on an email. So they think about that kind of stuff too, because they stay BCC and folks on people's emails. So just in the future, I'm a huge fan of the email. Um, uh, another thing with the eye contact, um, I am a very big fan of the eye contact. I do understand what other folks on the line were saying about it being like they get off on it and um, it's like predator like. But that's why I make myself look. Now, I will also put out, like, I get very disappointed in myself when I look away. Um, and, like, like I can't maintain it. But I will try. And sometimes it's more of like a mint, like, I have to make it so it's not like I'm looking at them. And I'm like, I really don't like you. And it's more like I need to just look at you, one, because for so long I wasn't allowed to. And, two, to see what it is you don't want me to see. And that's when you're able to watch the jaw clenching, the twitching of the eye, like the flicker of the eye, the like, just the more you look, the more you can see, but it's hard to look because it was beating us not to look. And I totally get it. And it's so uncomfortable. And sometimes it, it's just, I mean, you can start shaking just because of how bad it is, but see, like they have no problem because in their mind, they look at, in their mind, they look, they're not looked at. So for you to look at, it feels stressful and I get that I'm a huge fan of the eye contact just because I feel like it is you can learn a lot about um, the whole dynamic like within your body because it's so registered within you Uh, and also you can learn a lot about white people because you can look at them in their eyes and like see what it is or what is not there and um, learn a lot about yourself about well I can speak for myself I've learned a lot about myself just by like how when I become avoidant or when like if some you know if I've been belittled like all of a sudden now I don't want to look at white people in the face or now I'm getting all glitchy you know what I mean like it's just I'm a fan of the eyeballing (laughs) of reckless eyeballing as uncomfortable as it can be so um I kudos to keeping that eye contact um in that office and you know how however uncomfortable it may have been um, for the, I had, a, I took a couple notes. Um, is it okay if I share some stuff on other people's story real quick, guys? Proceed. Okay. Um, for the, 
for the uh, guy with the real estate, and I, because you spoke so much earlier, I hope I'm not like mixing anything up. But uh, did he, um, for what I recall, he called you the B and the brains, like the B word and the brains. And um, and then Gus asked you, you know, like, well, how'd you respond? Or, and you weren't really sure. That kind of goes back to that other thing. Like, white people like putting us in situations where we, like, like we, it's like when Dr. Francis Christ-Waltzing would say, like, the three questions for a mental health test. Do they know who they are? Do they know where they are? And do they know what time it is? And not that all white people know those three questions, but I think they like putting us in situations where it looks like we don't know the answers to those questions just because we have like a deer in the headlights kind of stare or we're so uncomfortable we don't know how to respond. And the white person in their mind is like, I wish somebody would just this man call me the B and like, you know, you know what I mean? But he can do it watching, knowing that he has more power in the situation because he's white. And um, I would just say like to keep thinking about it, because, I mean, you weren't really 100% sure. I mean, I totally get it. I'm all the time put in uncomfortable situations. And by the time I, like, get off of work, I'm so exhausted. I have no patience. And all I'm sitting here thinking is, like, did that really happen to me? And did they say that, you know? And now I'm obsessing about it, and it's just not good. Um, but definitely, perhaps, cause, and then you mentioned something about it, that not being the first time that he said things like this. Um, maybe begin to, like, have some kind of codified response that you could practice, which is advice that Gus gives on the on these calls, um, something, you know, to the effect of not around me or don't call me that or don't talk to me like that, and it will be hard at first if you're not used to it, but maybe that might be something because, you know, if you do it, if you let them do it one time, they're going to just, you know, who knows what the next thing is because to me that's, that's a lot. Who knows how far that will go, how far this uh, white male will carry that with you, and, you know, don't let him terrorize you like that. And then congratulations to uh, Mr. Firefighter. And um, I would say, oh, I didn't know that the, the scholar, I think in the Bay Area is where you put it. I didn't know he was so young. So if you listen in, um, fantastic. Keep up the good work. I did not know you were so young. Um, and goodbye, Uncle Tom. I'll reiterate just in case other people might have, like, heard it and it went out, like, they forgot about it already. Goodbye, Uncle Tom is a, I would say that's important to see. So it's on YouTube. Um, and then just overall about white people, one of the things I like this week was so exhausting for me, um, at my job and it's, I don't even talk that much at work, but it's, you know, 70 or whatever percent of communication is body language and so much of it is tone. And it's just, it's like all over the place. They're always posturing and positioning. And so like when one person, it's like an ant, like two animals, you have two animals and the minute one's like, I'm about to attack you. That other one doesn't really have the choice to say, look. You know what I mean? <laughs> Not right now. I'm tired. That one says, this is this is what it is. And so you are, no matter what, every time they just get in that mood, like they just want to terrorize you or attack you or belittle you, and you're in their environment, which, I mean, the whole world, but like especially on the plantation, you're engaged in this psychological war, 9 to 5, 8 to 4, whatever your hours are, because that's just what it is. And they said that's what it is. And like, you, all you can do is like leave for a second, but you can't even go away that long because then it's like you're not. And it's just so much. And so I definitely pay attention to the posturing and the body language and the tone with which people talk. Like, I don't even care what you're saying. I care more like, how are you talking to me? And I had, um, so to leave, okay. I'm the one in DC 
the inauguration is happening. I'm like a block away from the White House. So a um, security chief, deputy, somebody important with the White House, black man, comes in and, go, and is going to all the buildings within a certain radius of the White House to inform them of what the procedures are going to be and whether or not cars are going to be allowed to park, if they need to get up to the rooftop to make sure that they don't have, you know, blah, 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 et cetera. The two white males in the property management office come out. And it's so interesting because they never take black people to their offices. They always meet them at the door and do the entire exchange standing up. And it's real uncomfortable. When white people come in, white people can just walk right on in, go back there and like do whatever, even if they don't like know them. Like no, there's, there are no white people that have to stay in the front. And I was just like, hmm. So I had tea and I sat back and decided to just watch and make it obvious that I was watching. I'm about to leave. So my patience and my like desire to blend is just fading away. And um, so I was like, I'm going to just watch and stare at the white people as they're talking to this black male. And the entire time, their body language was like, I mean, the black man came in confident, cool, everything. He saw me. He was like, hey, I need a da-da-da-da-da, blah, 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 blah. I was like, all right, cool. Let me get them. Or actually, they heard him, so they came out. And next thing you know, one just crosses his arm and then takes like a foot back, which is like, a you know, the fighting stance almost. The other one like keeps fidgeting with stuff and like the whole way. And every time he starts to talk, they're cutting him off. And I'm like, this man came to give you information and you are cutting him off the entire time. Maybe. And I mean, cutting him off. And then it was like, like, it was like, question, 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 like a million questions. I was like, man, my goodness, Gus is always talking about these questions. I need to get my question game on point like this because they, he, and I was like, where are you guys coming with these questions? If you let him speak, I'm sure he's going to answer all of your questions. And then it was like, well, yeah, well, we've already got in contact with the PD and da, 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 da. The PD that has nothing to do with this man that works at the White House. You see what I'm saying? He's about to give you the business. They take their direction from him. He's, you know, anyway. So this whole thing goes on, and I'm watching as the body language, the conversations between body language, because like I said, the black man came in, confident, cool, ready to do this. The white man came out, one all anxiety, fidgety, all less whatever. The other one all like hyper aggressive and like forceful with the folded arms and the back stance and, you know, the whole posturing where you like, you know, if you... So then I watch how he all of a sudden loses his confidence. And now he's like looking down and like never making any contact. And, you know, now it's like a whole bunch of laughing and to the point that I guess he can't take it. But And he realizes, who is this black girl just sitting here sipping tea watching this? And he's like, you just going to sit there and sip tea and, or coffee. And I was like, well, it's tea, but yeah, you know. And then it was like he had to get it off his chest and it came at me. But I was cool because I was like, I totally understand. I'm watching it. And, um, you know, and then they make some jokes and stuff and, and then they talk about the weather and then he leaves with his head hung down. And I was like, this is fascinating. This is what they get to do all day long. Get dressed, leave their house, terrorize non-white people, feel better about themselves, go home and then just do it all over again while we have to sit here and decipher what's going on. Anyway, um, paying attention to the non-verbals is really, really important. Uh, the 1842, the one who's always being touched. Well, I have my Christmas party. I also I have to plan the Christmas party, so I don't have the option of not attending. I'm like the host, but whatever. This is my last one. Whoop whoop, it's over. So I'm sitting talking back face to the elevators, um, talking, entertaining, blah 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 blah. And this one I had told y'all about. He came and touched me. When I tell you he touched. I don't know how to explain it. The elevators are to my left, so I didn't even see him coming. I literally had no idea, you know, wasn't thinking about it. He came and touched, like, my, this time the left shoulder in the back 
When I tell you my left hand grabbed his arm and pushed it, like, and this is this old man, too, and he's, like, White House important, like, secretary, chief of whatever, you know what I mean? And I just, because he, I recognized his voice when he said my name and he touched me, and I just, I cannot be touched no more. So I took his arm and I pushed it back, and people in the party was like, <gasps> and I just looked at him like, I wish somebody would. I'm not having it today. And so he walked away and he looked back at me like, oh, and I was like, oh, yes, you will know, not never again. So that happened. Um, and then, well, yeah, that's enough with that. But um, thank you for letting me share. Fascinating. Wow. <laughs> the touching, the touching said that it's great to have a code. And that's one of those that you can practice, right? Like uh, your evasive move if it's going to be uh, a whole body thing or a snap you can like practice some different ones if you're seated and you have to move or if you're standing like you can try out some different ones but that's when you practice it i think you get in a good 10 15 reps you'll be ready to roll and then whatever you need to say to follow that up with the uh you know i appreciate it very uh against touching in the workplace i'm a part of the team but just i don't do touching thank you and I think that will that should solve that problem permanently, uh, in my opinion. Um, I just wanted to you had uh, had shared so many things. Um, I just wanted to make sure I got in the final comment that was read. And we had one person that I don't think we've heard from uh, at all. So I'm going to get in the comment. <clears throat> uh, this person wrote in this one is short. Uh, especially in comparison uh, to the other one, super short. Uh, so the person wrote, uh, this is a black male. Uh, on Friday, December the 9th, a young black male who we'll call Mr. Young was out making a delivery to some white folks residence. During the time Mr. Young was at the residence, he and a mentally handicapped white female were flirting. Oh, my. <laughs> um, uh, when I say mentally handicapped, I don't mean like Down syndrome. But it's apparent that something is not altogether right in her head. Also, she smokes weed. Anyhow, after leaving the residence, Mr. Young texted this white female from his company phone. Oof. I'm pretty sure that he did not have the white female's permission to do so. The mother of this white female ended up having Mr. Young fired from his job. We both worked at, although the, uh, although the daughter pleaded for the mom not to call, allegedly, Mr. Young has a wife and three children. I do not have anything to add to that. I think that is uh, self-evident. Uh, the person that dialed in uh, from uh, last four digits, 2250, did you have a uh, commentary you wanted to share? Uh, can it be heard? Uh, yes. This is 2250. Uh, I'll be brief because, uh, unfortunately, from what I've heard this evening, this is attacking our individual. Um, but uh, my, my anecdote is pretty much on the same line as uh, a few of the callers. Um, I would just like to reiterate and reemphasize to the callers um, that, yes, real white women on the job, because I work with one, and I'm a supervisor and a 
a corporate sales. Albeit she's significantly older than me. Main to this program that dynamic, uh, not to be really. She knows that and she displays that um, through a body touch. Play the best. Your line is breaking up. Is it just me? The other callers? Can you hear him, or is his line breaking up? It's breaking up. Okay. Uh, All the- right, let's, let's, sorry about that. Let me try to relocate. Okay. Can can I, can I be heard now? Give us uh, give us a few sentences, and we'll see. Oh, okay. Uh, can I be heard? Um, I've relocated. Hopefully, I can be heard a little bit better now. Sounds good. Let's hear it. Okay. Well, just to be brief, like I said, a lot of these stories are kind of interchangeable with mine. Um, I'm a quote-unquote supervisor in a um, corporate setting. I work for the Department of Defense, and I have a older um, white woman. She works for me. I'm technically her supervisor, although I'm not deceived as far as how the power dynamic works. I would just reiterate to people who are um, listening and don't have a lot of experience with working with older white women, please be careful. Please be careful. And one code that I've kind of utilized to help me stay out of trouble and keep things on the quote unquote, um, I'm not going to use a, a, uh, anyway, um, that keeps, keeps my office kind of working, uh, stress-free, so to speak, is I just kind of stick to the code about following policy company procedures. And that's helped me a lot because if you watch the body language of older white women, they kind of, they, they will get touchy and feel like the last call that she said, I've asked her my co-workers to please don't touch anybody in the office and that kind of has worked for me um but please be careful because it is quite dangerous uh, i go ahead and mute my lines absolutely absolutely we have talked about that before uh on the job not being alone uh with them don't get into any jokes anything like that it just uh they can cause a variety of problems uh, on the job, I think a lot of times people are somewhat suspicious of white, suspicious of white men. But I find a lot of times we, uh, man, we give a lot of passes out to white women for some reason. We could do a much better job across the board. I just submit specifically with white women. Um, I think I got everybody. Are, is it anybody who dialed in that we missed completely? Anybody that we haven't heard from at all? Uh, can I be heard? Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, well, first off, Gus, this is, um, well, anonymous from, uh, LA and basically in a nutshell, um, just wanted to give a brief history of, um, my work experience and just, um, going into being an entrepreneur. Uh, well, I'm into, uh, pretty much it went to school for it and, um, worked, for a few companies and eventually worked for one company out here in Los Angeles and um, worked there for a few years and a little bit of, um, what do you call it? Like just nepotism in the, in the company. Um, I experienced that, saw a few things within the company and, you know, had individuals who worked, um, who had their own businesses on the side and they would work with the organization or the company too. Um, so I think um, I kind of got blackballed, you would say, I hate to even use that term, but um, there, I was talking to a few other brothers and sisters who were at the 
companies and, and just, you know, putting it in their mind, like, hey, maybe we should think about forming our own company, LLC or whatever, to go out and uh, look for, I mean, uh, what do you say, um, just to apply for different um, bids or um, try to just do exactly what we're doing at this company, but, you know, for ourselves. And, you know, it was pretty simple. I mean, you know, you just need an engineer, um, a few people who know how to implement the technology. And, I mean, you know, of course, some people within the office who, you know, may have some other connections with other people who could possibly go out and get contracts. Nonetheless, long story short, um, I ended up getting let go from that company. I think it was because um, someone told someone, like, hey, man, he's talking about doing his own thing or whatever, and this word got around, and they ended up letting me go. So I ended up finding another job with um, a person, a white guy, um, in, in the general, same general area. And he um, essentially said he would hire me for one rate. He said he would, you know, hire me. I would come on for one rate. Um, um, but when I got on, he pretty much, um, he, it wasn't significant, but he didn't, he didn't hire me and give me the wage that he said he was going to give me. It was a, a little bit lower. So I said, okay, it's no thing, whatever. Long story short, um, middle-aged gentleman, white guy, whatever, um, worked with him, just seemed like a liberal, seemed like one of those types of individuals who, you know, he, he likes everyone or whatever and uh, whatnot. But, you know, I, I really didn't take the whole um, him telling me one wage and then hiring me for another. I, I didn't really take that lightly. I, you know, I felt, yeah, he was practicing racism. You know, I wasn't. Um, you know, codified or anything like that. But for the most part, you know, I was pretty much aware. Long story short, just working with him, learning pretty much what he does, because it was just he and I. He pretty much worked as a, um entrepreneur and self-starter. For, for, he's been doing it for years. So I'm seeing what I can learn from him. Um there's a couple of things where I've noticed and I just was like, okay, now this guy, I, I, I can't continue to work for this guy. Um, the main thing was just that whole thing where he said he would pay me for one wage and then didn't honor that. So, you know, I, I started with him in maybe September. I think his, um, his plans were to hire me and have me there so that I could do a lot of his work, um, which was a lot of the, you know, hands-on grunt work, like doing, you know, voice over IP conversions, things of that nature, anything that he did hands-on, he wanted to kind of like have me do that. He would step back and do a lot of the um, office work, um, dealing with more of the uh, clients, et cetera. And um, yeah, I think I, I, I stayed there like six weeks and right before Thanksgiving, I gave him a two weeks and he had the nerve to say, Oh, Oh, that's, that's not fair. Um, you you know you you're gonna give me two weeks because um you know it's not fair and I was just thinking in my head I'm like okay well you know you you say you're gonna pay me one wage and then when I get on board you tell me you're gonna pay me this that's not fair and then at the end he's like hey well you know um where are you going I, well I told him you know I was um 
going to go to another organization. It's a um, Black-owned organization, which I ended up going, but it didn't work out because that's another story. But um, he said, oh, well, I can pay you what they're going to pay. You know, it was he, he could pay me originally what he was going to pay me, essentially. And I was just like, nah, that's... Uh, I, I was I was too through with the whole situation, but nonetheless went over with the other um, organization, and um, they just didn't have it organized. I, I gave them a little bit of time, but I worked at like six weeks, didn't get paid or anything of that nature, and I had to bounce. But I've always had my own thing on the side anyway, so um, you know, I'm just giving a little bit of my work history, so and work experience, so. Any, anybody coming up, young brother and sister who wants to become self-sufficient, independent, become an entrepreneur, um, my advice is to um, definitely just just get your network on. Definitely um, um, study up on whatever field you um, you, you want to do if you're going to become an entrepreneur. I'm just talking to a young brother. He was working at a job and he's like, he wants to become an entrepreneur and possibly um, open up a franchise. I, I just say, Hey man, definitely just, you know, build your network up and, um, you know, just do what you got to do to uh, um, be on top of your game, be the best, whatever you're going to do, be the best at it or whatever. Nonetheless. Um, that's pretty much it. Um, and essentially, man, Hey, appreciate the show. Been listening to you guys for a while. It's the first time calling. Um, and that's pretty much it, man. Uh, meet my line. First time caller. Appreciate that. Thank you for uh, dialing in to share. Definitely, if you, uh, <clears throat> if you have ideas uh, to start your own business uh, and you are trying to make it be something, this is going to be a black enterprise, certainly I would not announce that on the job, even on the last day there when you're exiting. I would not uh, announce that. I know this is, you know, you said your work history, so you, you know, I'm sure are more informed about racism now than you were then. Uh, I'm still learning myself. But, yeah, for for listeners, I would definitely put that in because it's been my experience. Uh, Whites, that is one of the things that they become extremely motivated and excited about the opportunity to sabotage black businesses. So. You think you're going to storm out on your last day and we're going to start our own company and forget you crackers. And this, you know, it's black power time. We want to write. I guarantee some of the very white people there, they will make it their business and see what they can do to make things difficult uh, for you. That's been my experience, my history. I think the record book uh, bears that out. Uh, That tends to be the way that whites get down. Uh, Let's see. 1842, did you have anything else you wanted to add? We have about eight minutes left, trying to make sure we don't have stragglers and everyone's straight. 1842, did you have anything left? No, I'm clear for now. Thank you. Right on. Princess, did you have a commentary you wanted to add? Um, I just wanted to, um, uh, uh, I think uh, the firefighter was talking about having uh, someone um, with you, I, I guess, if you're going through surgery. I did have my mom uh, throughout the process, so she was able to advocate for me on a lot of things. Um, so, yeah, definitely, if you're going into any type of surgery, uh, I lucked out in finding this particular uh, doctor because he's well-known in that area because the other place that I was going to go to, um, 
he had when I made mention it uh, to him about the other doctor that I was going to go up under to have the procedure. Uh, he pretty much let me know that, you know, he was glad that I didn't go through with that because they were not as experienced. And I think it was another caller a while back. Um, he had called in and was talking about how a lot of doctors uh, may be listening to crazy rap music or doing crazy stuff while they're doing surgeries on people. And, you know, you just don't want to take the risk of um, white people, um, especially in the medical field, um, you know, doing things uh, to harm you and stuff like that. So um, I wound up going to a different doctor at the last minute. So luckily everything was okay, but it was just a process overall dealing with this particular white female. White girls are dangerous. White people, period. Um, other folks have any commentary? We have about five minutes. Uh, any other other folks that are on the line have comments they wanted to get in before we conclude? Yes, can I be heard? Uh, yes, sir. The caller 3246. Yes, sir. So I was asked a question. Um, it might have been two questions, but I only remembered one. And um, it was about what I was, uh, did he, did my broker, um, or excuse me, did my managing broker say that I was, I think the question was, did he say that I was the brains uh, and the bitch? And uh, no, he said that he was the brains and that I would be the bitch and the muscles. And I would also have to come up with ideas. Um, and then the lady had given a, um, um, given some uh, suggestions or some advice, and I, I do accept that advice. Um, thank you. Uh, but I do want to say that was, you know, uh, six years ago or roundabout. So it, it was a while ago. I was uh, rather young. And uh, um, Mr. Gus, you had asked a, a question, though, about how did I respond? And, and she was kind of she was speaking about how I responded to that being called a bitch. I actually it, it was a while ago. So I, and then when you asked me, I really I couldn't remember exactly what I my, my answer was still true, but I just couldn't remember exactly what happened. I had actually told him um, after he said that I did correct him. Um, I did say that I I didn't have any plans on being anybody's bitch. But the thing is, like he immediately went to explain what he meant by bitch. Like he, he gave the definition, basically saying that I would have to do whatever he said. Um, you know, basically his idea was the final idea. So I could basically have ideas, just no big, I, I mean, no leading big ideas kind of thing. And, um, but then, you know, then he, but he, like I said, he, he's done this before. And so, and even the whole nigger thing, I never corrected him on the nigger thing. I like it when he, I mean, I would, I would like it when, when, when he would just be truthful, damn it, just be truthful with me. And, and that helps me out. That, that, that reminds me of where I am. But then when he calls me a bitch, you know, that's actually, that's, that's another type of attack. And, um, and what happened was I, I did after he explained it, you know, I just not in my head, ex um, as, I mean, uh, accepting his terminology and I shouldn't have done that. Um, uh, thinking back over it. Um, and I won't do that, you know, anytime again, but 
it was like, like, again, they're psychologists, uh, master psychologists. And, um, and so like his, like he went right with an explanation and, and, and definition. And basically I'm going, like, I have to accept this definition. So that type of thing. Oh, okay. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, was it somebody else have a comment they were going to get in? Uh, yes, it was me. Um, I just wanted to say the, um, um, I wish that previous call the best because he's around some serious, serious terrorism there. So I wish him the best. Um, I wanted to say I was really proud of 1842. It made my heart sing just to hear how um, she handled herself, um, big up for black self-respect. And for the caller who just spoke um, previous to the last one, when he talked about uh, how he was being mistreated by that white psychopath in terms of his pay. Um, and then the, he said the guy, when he, I guess the, um, the white guy found out that he was transitioning to a black-owned company and that he offered to pay him what he originally um, promised him in order to keep him. That was brilliant that you did not accept the counteroffer. Um, whenever you leave a company, do not go backwards in that regard. Whenever they give you a counteroffer, they usually terrorize you 10 times worse once you come back and they knew that you were planning to leave. And I know that from experience. I've seen a few of my friends that have gone through that same situation and they made that fatal mistake of accepting a counteroffer when they were offered something at a different location, different company. And when they chose to stay, every time without fail, the terrorism intensified and magnified. So um, especially for those uh, younger people who may not have a lot of work experience, I thought that that was brilliant. And I wanted to bring um, uh, shine a light on that simply because if they're young and a similar situation happens, I don't want them to make that mistake. And even if you're not young, if that situation happens, do not take a counter offer. They will terrorize you. Thank you. I'll meet my line. Right on. Uh, one of just a quick suggestion and then we'll get the other person. You can get our last comment. And I just wanted to say, uh, I think it might be helpful if we not refer to the furniture at work uh, in the spot where you work at as my desk, that possessive adjective, uh, because it's not my desk. Like they can come. It's the company's property wherever you work at. It's their property. They can come and take it and you might have to ask their permission to move it or any of the other furniture. Uh, that's there. It's not your office either. I think it, that might be helpful for us just to keep us in the correct uh, frame of thinking uh, about who owns this property and uh, what we do with this property, how comfortable we are leaving things on this property that is not ours since this is not my desk. This is not my phone. I think someone got in trouble earlier for texting on a phone that was not theirs. Uh, maybe we should keep that in mind. Not my phone, not my office. This is not my desk. Uh, this is all their property, their office, their everything. Uh, they can kick me out of this very job uh, if they want to. Even had some commentary on that. Uh, the other caller that uh, spoke up that was going to share, be our last person. Yes, just briefly for the callers and listeners who live in this part of the world, uh, the 48, lower 48, I believe today's the last night to sign up for uh, health care. Um, I know a lot of non-white people are victimized, as the caller previously stated, in the area um, or when it comes to our health. And um, for those who may be self-employed or employed, um, if they're looking to get health care, I know for a lot of self-employed non-white people, that is one of the biggest challenges is not having access to health care and forcing them to put themselves in a 
in a position where they're terrorized by white people. So if you if you care for for healthcare, you you can sign up tonight, the last night um, for this year for next year. That is great. I'm sure, I'm sure some folks appreciate that also. Uh, with that, uh, that will wrap us for the day. Uh, if folks have a moment, uh, if the audio that we had at the beginning from the office and vice principals, number one, I'm not encouraging anyone to watch those shows. There's racism in those shows. Absolutely. But there's a lot of racism in all of the shows that are on TV. So, you know, it's uh, not a big deal. You don't need to uh, invest any time watching uh, any of that uh, content. Now, uh, if you heard it and uh, if it made sense or if it was confusing, if you want to give feedback on that, that would be uh, appreciated. I uh, wasn't sure because sometimes things that are uh, so heavily visual like that, they don't translate. Uh, we just have the audio. Uh, so if you heard that, if it made sense, uh, I thought there were so many cues about <laughs> racism being the central uh, factor in what was happening on the job in those scenarios. I thought that uh, people would be able to figure it out. But uh, you have feedback. I would appreciate it. We'll be here tomorrow. Uh, same program time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, Friday, uh, December 16th. Uh, that'll be our second study session on Gwen Eiffel's The Breakthrough, Politics and Race in the Age of Obama. Uh, as I've stated, fascinating to be reading this book at this time <laughs> on the dawn of the Trump era and reflecting back on the last eight years. Uh, of President Obama's time in the White House. Fascinating read. Uh, we're right in the uh, kind of midpoint of chapter two, very early. It's not a very big book, so we're, we're going to get through it quickly. Uh, I think we'll learn a lot, uh, lots of uh, details and paying our respects to the late Gwen Eiffel. We'll be here Saturday for the compensatory call-in, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Uh, we'll have an opportunity to uh, check out Everything that has taken place uh, over the past seven days or so, uh, we certainly have uh, the end, uh, the guilty verdict in the Dylan Storm roof trial, uh, as well as some of the other elements of racism, white supremacy uh, that have taken place over the last week. There was another uh, road rage incident uh, that took place as well. So, uh, yeah, lots to talk about, lots to discuss. Uh, just uh, tune in this coming Saturday if you have observations, thoughts you'd like to share. Uh, and then Sunday, we'll be here for the Global Sunday Talk on Racism. Uh, that'll be early. Uh, it's 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, 12 noon Pacific uh, this Sunday. Uh, we'll have our listeners uh, joining us from around the world. Uh, we will get to talk, man, we'll get to talk uh, about the conclusion of 2016, but also uh, the BBC, they have just been like dropping lots and lots of documentaries uh, about racism. Uh, they had a big four part series uh, that was, it just ended uh, a couple of weeks ago called black is the new black. And it had all of these, well, the cowbell would be broken, but Naomi Campbell and, uh, Alicia Dixon and Dizzy Rascal and just anybody who's anybody uh, in the UK is a black person. Uh, they had them in this film. Thandie Newton was in it from Crash. Uh, and they were talking about their experience growing up uh, in the UK and experiencing racism. Um, just it was fascinating uh, to check out some of our uh, UK participants that normally join us. They saw it. They did another film within the same 10, 10 day period. Uh, 
on the killing of Mark Duggan. That was the black. And that's another cow. <laughs> he has a white parent. It's a non-white male. He does have a white parent. Uh, he was shot and killed by the Metropolitan Police in 2011. We did a lot of great commentary uh, on that back in that summer. Uh, but they did a documentary. Uh, this is just the five year anniversary of his shooting death. And they covered a lot of the angles. We'll talk about that as well. Uh, it's lots going on worldwide, but that's this Sunday tune in. I think it's always great to uh, keep in mind that racism, white supremacy is a global problem and to hear how non-white people, the observations they're having in different parts of the world, what they're seeing Uh, with that, we will wrap things up. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Uh, You can always email if you have situations that you want to share on the program. Uh, If you can't find something in the archives, if you have a guest suggestion or gripe, uh, the email until justice at Gmail. Dot com. Uh, thanks to everyone who tuned in, who shared. Really appreciate it. Great suggestions and uh, hope everyone does well countering racism on the job moving forward. Uh, thanks again for tuning in. Hope the program was worthy of your time and energy. And as always, sobriety would be best under conditions of racism, white supremacy. The Philando Castillo case, someone just posted it on my Facebook page that they are saying that he may have been culpable in getting himself shot to death by this enforcement official in Minnesota because he was under the influence of cannabis. That is the type of world that we're in. I say that not to say that he's a victim or anything. uh, Excuse me. I say that not to blame or to castigate him in any way uh, for his use of cannabis or anything else. He is a victim of white supremacy, if ever there was. Uh, I just say that under this system, uh, we are under attack. When you are being subjected to war, we are not at war with whites. Whites are waging war against us in all areas of people activity. Under those conditions, I don't think the evidence has shown that we perform better under the influence of alcohol or cigarettes, cannabis, whatever it is, whatever other new concoctions they come up with. I don't think the evidence has shown that we do better solving this problem uh, under the influence. So I think sobriety would be best. Certainly, if you're going to be out and about, you do not want to be in a vehicle. And the way I say it consistently, driver, I think Philando Castile was in the passenger seat. Even as a pedestrian, you do not want to have that be the day that you bump into Daniel Holtzclaw, Darren Wilson. That is not going to improve your situation at all. And the record shows that overwhelmingly. Case closed. (laughs) With that, creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cows signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, brother. You're a victim. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned.